Well, on this episode of Geek Out Loud, it's a classic Geek Out Loud where we just, like, respond to things. From WandaVision to the Snyder Cut of Justice League, this is your safe place to geek out. It's the Geek Out Loud podcast. Welcome to Geek Out Loud, coming to you from the Wilbur Heath Memorial Broadcast and Recording Studio in lovely Rome, Georgia. My name is Steve Glosson. So glad to be along with you and glad that you are here along with us on this episode. Uh, it's going to I mean, it's really kind of an old school Geek Out Loud where it's like, hey, I watched something, I read something, uh, and now I'm going to talk about it. So, you know, I... You know what I don't like? I don't like this trend that has come along of um, of like YouTubers <clears throat> or podcasters saying, we need to talk about the Snyder Cut, you know, like, or let's talk about the Snyder Cut and then boom, go into things. I don't, I don't like that, you know, because it's like, just do it. If you want to talk about it, talk about it. Do you need to? I don't know that you need to. I don't know that anyone needs this, but... Uh, I'm giving it to you anyway. So it's like, do you want it? Have it. If you don't want it, guess what? Leave it. There. Leave it there. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, so yeah. So here we are. Um, we are rocking and rolling, and and got a lot of geeky things that have happened over the course of the last few weeks. It's been some good stuff, and and now um, and now. And now we have to respond. We don't have to. Once again, now I'd like to respond to all the things that have gone on. But before we get into it all, um, I want to give uh, a shout out, if you will, to this week's featured supporter at patreon.com slash geekoutloud, Nathan Andrus. Nathan has the ability to manipulate his own density. This means he can become indestructible and harder than any diamond or steel. Harder than adamantium, y'all. Or he can even become intangible. Where he likes to hang is that place right in the middle because though evil fears him, he's just a big soft teddy bear. Just ask his kids. They love the guy. That's Nathan Andrus, our featured supporter here on this episode of Geek Out Loud. And we want to welcome uh, John Custer, a new patron as of February 25th. We appreciate John being a part of the Patreon crew over at patreon.com slash geekoutloud. Uh, some of you have actually reached out to me there at Patreon to communicate. And honestly, what I'm finding is that if you're a Patreon subscriber person, um, that's one of the easier ways to get to me because I get those notifications quick and I'll be sure to respond to you through the Patreon message system there. So please, please, please uh, get get with us there. Or you can email geekoutonline at gmail.com, geekoutonline at gmail.com. If you are not able to be a patron, I get that. That's not a problem with me. I'm just glad to, that you're listening. But if you want to support the show somehow, there are Amazon links and a few other links to different places 
um, at geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com. And when you go to those places, uh, it helps the show out when you do your shopping and just click through those links. We don't see anything. We don't know what's going on with you. We just know that we get a kickback uh, for what you do by being referred to those sites through uh, Geek Out uh, Loud. And the more you are referred to those sites, the more you use those links or do or use or shop those sites, places like Entertainment Earth, Amazon, as I said, uh, the more that you do that, the more places see, hey, this is a worthwhile endeavor to partner with this particular show. So, and they will and they will do that. So please help us out that way. We greatly appreciate it. Um, one other piece of information is. Uh, the YouTube channel. This afternoon at the time of this recording, I got with Lethargic Chewy and we did a Back to the Wax Pack. We were opening up Series 3 packets of um, of the Empire Strikes Back trading cards. Had a great time doing that. And um, <clears throat> if you want to check that out, it's over at the Geek Out Loud YouTube channel. We were doing it live and everything kind of crashed midway through. Um, and so we had to kind of restart and relaunch. Some things just went wonky with the software. But uh, so there's kind of a two-parter. So check that out. Uh, we do the back to the wax packs, and then we do um, then we do uh, a little bit of show and tell. Lucas opened a Black Series uh, Gamorian Guard. Um, I was showing off some of the old Toy Biz uh, action figures, Marvel superhero action figures, um, and, uh, and and a Man Tech figure. Man Tech. Um, I don't know who the dude is, but he was the bad guy. And, uh, and so I was showing him off a little bit and showing off some of the, uh, some of the stuff that I've been, y'all, I've been steady crafting. I've, I, I, I went on a tear learning how to make these flight stands for Marvel Legends action figures and stuff. And, um, and I started to make some and started to, instead of just having figures just standing there on a shelf, I've tried to put them in some dynamic poses, some of them. And, um, and then some of them are like flying and such as, and and it it looks a lot better. And also um, got some webs that go with like the Spider-Man or the Venom figures, and you can kind of hook to their little hands, and they and they look they look really like them. If you know what I if you know what I mean, <clears throat> Vern, when I say spaghetti webs, that's what it kind of looks like. So um, so really good time. Check it out. We'd appreciate you. Uh, subscribing over there. We just need five more subscribers and we'll be at 250. Then we'll do a big 250 subscriber thank you celebration kind of thing. And, um, you know, we're, we're trying to get better with everything we do when we do it. So please help us out if you're so inclined and we greatly appreciate that. Um, anything else going on? Anything else we need to get out of the way? We're live right now at Mixler.com slash Goliverse, Mixler.com slash Goliverse. And so we appreciate you, those of you who are there with us. Let's roll through the roll call and see who's here. Lisa Cipher, Kristen from Jersey, Roth in Wyoming, Realtor Angie, Cattle Boss, Cattell, if you will, uh, Chris Hansford, Tinson, uh, Brian Kent, Haley G, my lovely wife, Wendy Cooper, Carissa uh, is here with us, the the conscience of the Mixler Zoo crew. Daniel and Indy, my nemesis slash, you know, pal, and our good friend Stuffity, and one elsewhere. Your name is not mentioned here, but you know who you are, and we thank you for being a part of this. Mark von Kugler, um, out of Maui, Mark, out of uh, out of out of uh, Hawaii. 
sent a video to me um, with TV memories from 1964 to 1976. And uh, he said, here's a walk down Saturday morning TV. The problem is, is I was not born during that time. I do. I recognized a lot of those shows because of repeats and things like the Cartoon Express on the USA Network. And, you know, a lot of these old cartoons being in syndication, and that sort of thing. Um, but that led me to this link. It was the top 50 Saturday morning cartoon intros from the 80s. And uh, it began, and, and I think at the outset there was a disclaimer. It's like they're alphabetical, they're in alphabetical order. So it's not like a countdown from 50 to 1. And it begins with the ALF cartoon and uh, seems to move its way through a couple of other things. Um, oh, goodness, I pressed the wrong button. Hate it when that happens. Um, so, uh-oh, what have I done? I've, I've messed up all kinds of things. All right, so um, let me back up here. So anyhow, uh, so I got to watching that, and you know, you know me. I'll go down an 80s rabbit hole with no issue whatsoever. Super happy to do that with no problem. And, and I remember the ALF cartoon theme. Like, that's one of those things that it got in my head, and it never went away. Um, because it couldn't. There's some filmation cartoon that was next on the list. Their uh, fight for freedom against the cruel overlord. Who rules by the might of the force. I'll tell you what, someone saw some Star Wars. Oh yeah, this is, um, is it, it's not Brave Star. And so, with Star Sword in hand, Black Star, Black Star. together with his allies, sets out to save the planet Sagar. That's a filmation thing, but I'm telling you what, someone saw Star Wars or heard the Star Wars music on that one because that was straight up Star Wars music. <laughs> I'm John Blackstar, and I'm here to fight the bad guys. I, filmation was rocking it back in the 80s with that and He-Man. Um, good night. Here's another one by Filmation. What's coming up? This is Brave Star. Now, Brave Star, little known, little known fact: Brave Star and Black Star were cousins. Um, so there you go. There, there's, there's your information. There, I'm, I'm making that up. There is, there is more of a link between cops fighting crime in a future time and GI Joe, a real American hero, than there is between Brave Star and Black Star. Um, I think really the only thing that Brave Star and Black Star have in common is they were both filmation properties, and that meant there were probably a lot of characters that looked a lot alike in those things so anyhow here we are geek out loud we've got a lot to talk about i'm running my mouth um black star not to be confused with david bowie indeed indeed so and uh it's just it's absolutely yeah here we are i've look this is geek out loud and if you can't handle me going down an 80s rabbit hole on geek out loud then you've obviously never listened to geek out loud i just want to blow through some of these things the challenge of the gobots Yeah, this was Hanna-Barbera doing this. And so the animation was a little more American than the Transformers. The Transformers did have, in some ways, a little bit of an a, 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 an anime feel to it. Um, the Gobots were... Are, they get a bad rap. I gotta tell you. Now listen, were the toys a little bit more lame than Transformers? Yes. 
Yes, they were. I No one's going to deny that. No one's going to look at you and say that there were GoBot toys that were much more lame. Also, Tonka just started throwing the throwing the GoBots label on anything they could without any rhyme or reason necessarily. Like they they wouldn't get in their lane with a with a standard scale action figure. The same way that I mean, let's be honest, Transformers Hasbro is guilty of the exact same thing. So let's not act like everybody's, you know, innocent here in in what went on back then. But one of the things that blew my mind about the GoBots, and I had this toy. I was just talking to um, Lethargic Chewy Lucas about it today. There was a toy, and they had this big monster, robot monster, lizard, dinosaur thing. And the toy would actually, you put three C-cell batteries in what would be basically the dinosaur tail. And the thing was on wheels, and it would raise up, and, and its mouth would open, and it would snap back down. and And it came with this poker thing you know you just basically poke it and because there was a button on the underside that you had to poke in to turn it off now i will never forget the name of this thing because it is the name of the villains of one of my favorite uh movies from the 80s and one of my favorite properties from the 80s uh the thing's name was zod it was called zod um and so you know it it just amazing watching fight but the gobots cartoon was not I don't remember it as being poor quality. Now, granted, the GoBots, and this will bring me to something. I don't know if we want to go down this road necessarily on this show because we want to kind of celebrate the things that have been pretty good lately. But the GoBots did something that the Masters of the Universe did in their waning days. And it's almost like, hey, this will save us. Um, let's let's make some rocks. <laughs> Let's have some rocks that transform into robots. That'll be the thing to do. And so, you know, you had the rock lords for the GoBots, and I forget what the ones, uh, what the ones for the Masters of the Universe were called. The Masters of the Universe rock people. And um, let's see. Let me just let me do a quick Google. Let me Google that for you. Um, rock warriors. <laughs> Let's be honest. the The Master of the Universe Rock Warriors sounds like um, it sounds like a Guitar Hero game. Happy at you, Box Hero Rock Warrior. Um, and they and like the name was like Rock On and something else. Like literally Rock On. Hey kids, rock and roll, Rock On. The Rock People. All right, here we go. The Rock People are people in the popular Masters of the Universe franchise. The two characters of Stone Dar and Rock On were representatives of the entire race of people whose bodies were encased in shells of rocks and who can transform themselves into meteors. So see, they didn't just say rocks. They said meteors. So they weren't like rock lords. Rock lords! Um, and the rock people. Rock lords and rock warriors. Now listen, how was that not an 80s cartoon? The Rock Lords and the Rock Warriors. That, I'm sorry, is that, do we not have a, I feel like we have a a podcast that should have basically been called Rock Warriors. Um, anyhow, listen, back to what we're talking about. My point is this. To me, when I look back and I think back on, when I think back on all the things um that happened with GoBots and He-Man. And this was in their waning days of popularity. And someone in those toy companies said, 
let's make transforming rocks. I know what the kids like. Rocks. Hey, this seems like a good idea. How about a sentient rock? How, how about that? Now, look, I'm not here to, to say that those ideas are bad, but I am here to say that there's another franchise who has introduced into its cavalcade of characters a rock. The rock is the co-pilot on a spaceship called the vessel. So look, I'm just saying, I don't know who did that. I don't know what franchise that is, but creativity abounds in that place. That's all there is to it there. I can't, uh, I will say no more about that because this is your safe place to geek out. And some of y'all may be enjoying the rock stories, um, with, uh, with rock and Archie or whatever the names are. <laughs> Anyway, I'm just saying the Rock Warriors and the Rock Lords would have been much better had they been all in the same franchise fighting one another for some, you know, for the power of rock. We're going to bring in the power of rock. Yeah. And, you know, and one of them and one of them has to talk like that. Listen, when you've got a rock warrior named Rock on. Hey, kids, rock and roll, rock on. Singing my song. Jimmy Dean. That song, he does say Jimmy Dean in that song. But I think he's not talking about the sausage. He's talking about the the actor, the deceased actor, James Dean. Jimmy Dean. He just likes sausage. And where do we go from here? Waffle House. I mean, if you want if you want some Jimmy Dean, why not? Michael Damien. He was a um speaking of 80s. Michael Damien was uh, a soap opera star in the 80s, I believe. Or not, maybe not a star, but that's where he got his start, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. So see, in my mind, this song is about is about sausage, is about breakfast food. <laughs> and instead of rock on, it's bacon. What do we got here now? Now listen, you I'm sorry, I didn't mean to turn this into rock into rock out loud. But you want a good cover of this song? How about a little? Uh, how about a little bit of? Speaking of rock lords, how about a little Def Leppard? 
Make it talk, guys. Make it talk. All right. I don't need to get lost in this. I will say this. Um, breakfast is great. I like breakfast for supper. I like breakfast food in general. And um, and and I'll tell you what's really fun is doing it griddle style. Getting out on the old Blackstone griddle, throwing some breakfast together. I got. Uh, I I have become as much a collector of like griddling accessories as I have um, Marvel and Star Wars toys. Um, I I got the I got the pancake dispenser the other day. Really excited about that bad boy. Can't wait to fill that mess up with some batter and get out on the griddle and make some pancakes. Probably more than I would eat in a sitting. But you know, it's like I gotta fill the thing up and make pancakes with it. Um, but it is it is if you don't if you can get one if you if you have the place for it. Uh, get you a griddle. I'll tell you what, it, it, it'll, it's good stuff. Good stuff. Bake on. All right. Listen, we need to get into this. We need, we've got several things to talk about and I want to, you know what? I want to start out. First of all, um, we are talking about, uh, tonight justice league. Uh, we're talking about WandaVision and we're talking about um, Winter Soldier and Falcon, if you want to, or Falcon and Winter Soldier, if you want to. And if there's something else geeky that's on your radar right now, uh, feel free to let's talk about that as well. We're going to be taking calls. The number is 706-383-3019. I want to kind of start out with Justice League talk, because this is one of those things I think that was the most anticipated kind of geeky thing to come out um, in recent memory, you know, with the, with the whole pandemic mess and, and all the silliness that went on there, everyone shut down everything and movies have died. And, and, you know, and so, you know, the Marvel cinematic universe was put on hold for like a year. And so, um, Oh, I kind of want to see the new gods. Oh, I do want to see the new Godzilla versus King Kong. Anyhow. Um, and, and, but one of the things that, that geeky folks like myself were really kind of looking forward to was, was the Snyder cut. Now I need to make a confession here and I need to say something and Dave Jones isn't around. So I can say this without any hesitation, um, in preparation for what do we do? Well, I mean, who are we? What kind of people are we in preparation for the Snyder cut of the justice league? Um, Haley and I watched, uh, man of steel and Batman V Superman dawn of justice. So as we were, um, as we were going through those things, here's the deal. I, and I think I've made this, I hope I've made this abundantly clear throughout the history of this show. Ever since the release of man of steel, I love, I absolutely love the casting of Henry Cavill as Superman. I think he makes a great Superman. Um, uh, there's a there's there's a moment in Man of Steel when he's kind of laying out the plan of how they have to defeat Zod, 
And so he's doing the exposition. He's kind of, and it's kind of a voiceover thing. And he sounds like Superman. Like, and I know, well, of course he sounds like Superman. He's supposed to be Superman. Um, and, and so to, to watch him be Superman is just, I think he's fantastic. Love Amy Adams as Lois Lane. I think that I, I love the storytelling of the Man of Steel. That we don't have the um, deception of Lois and who is you know, and and her trying to figure out who Superman is and all that stuff that's been done for years and years and years. But rather, but rather, come on, Glosson, you don't need you don't need two uh, two interjections. Is it interjection conjunctions? You don't need two conjunctions. Conjunction junction. What's your function? Um, <clears throat> anyway, um, I I love the storytelling there with with Lois discovering Clark based on Clark's life up to that point. I have issues with Man of Steel. I I think that Smallville should have been a learning curve for him. I think I think there should have been a point in the Smallville battle where he looked around and saw what was going on in that town and got out of there and, and did his best to direct ev- direct the fight away from, uh, from the middle of town. Um, I, I, I think that once the danger of the world engine and everything in Metropolis is done, you know, watching it back, I really understood Well, you can't, he couldn't he he was kind of fighting on Zod's turf at that point. He he was not as in control of being able to get things away as he was in the Smallville area. So I give him a little bit of a pass there in there. But and also, you know, it's like his first or second day on the job. I, I get that. Um so so there's some issues I have there just with like he didn't learn quickly enough from that to try to get away from everybody. And two though, look the the shot of him when he is um when he's going um when he's going to fight the world engine and it's got all those arms and claws just jutting out at him fighting him. I mean that's comic book on screen and I love that kind of stuff. The problem, my biggest problem, as you all know, with the Man of Steel was they needed to hold that camera steady and they didn't. And I know it's like, well, if you like Battlestar Galactica, then you will know, you're used to watching the handheld camera stuff. There ain't no show with a handheld camera where the hand holding the person holding the camera uh, seems to be struggling to hold it and and is almost intentionally shaking around. They added um, they added uh, shakes. They had to have. They had to add shakes digitally into that. So anyhow. It made it's always made the viewing experience of that movie less enjoyable for me because it really does get on my nerves that the camera doesn't doesn't hold steady. So then you move into Batman v Superman. And this is another one that I just was initially very underwhelmed by, but also understand we were in the midst of the Marvel Cinematic Universe at this point. They had built to Civil War had had been out or was getting ready to come out. And, um, and so, you know, as, so honestly, yeah, I, I came away really underwhelmed. I wasn't sure about the characterization of Lex Luthor. Wasn't a big fan of, of that characterization by Jesse Eisenberg. Um, and, and honestly, there at the end of the movie, when he's like, ding, 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 ding. In the movie theater, I saw that film and people started laughing. 
and it wasn't meant to be funny. Excuse me while I take a sip of water. Um, it, and it wasn't meant to be funny. That's the problem. Is it anytime that you do something and it plays for laugh and it's not meant to be funny that you, you've, you've lost the audience. Um, I, I love Affleck as Batman. I think he does a great job. Again, Henry Cavill as Superman, uh, Gal Gadot or Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman, you know, perfect casting. My wife loves her as well. And, uh, and I hear about it every time she comes on screen. Um, but it, 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 the, the, my thing with that movie still is the minute Superman dies, I'm like, well, they did what they've wanted to do now since 1992 in live action. They killed Superman. Um, and I feel like that they didn't earn the emotional response of, of that character dying because he'd only been around at this point like 18 months or, or whatever the case may be. However, there is a particular part of me that is, uh, that is um, a fan of Superman, has been a fan of Superman my entire life. And when I see him, especially like in the scene where he is, um, where, where after the Capitol get, or yeah, after the Capitol bomb, and he's just standing there, you know, heartbroken and dejected and everything else, like you really do feel that. It it, it really is. It it is kind of kind of powerful. Um, <clears throat> but I want to say this, and 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 here's the thing. As much as I had issues initially with Eisenberg's casting, and I don't like him early on in that movie as Lex Luthor. I don't like that version of Lex Luthor. I don't like what, what's really happening there. But when we get to the roof of that building and he's standing there with Lois Lane and he's, you know, psychotic is just a three-syllable word for people who don't think, whatever the case may be. And he throws her off so that Superman shows up and Superman saves her and gets back up there. And he's like, all right, Joseph Clark or Clark Joseph Kent. And he's like, all right, Clark Joe. I don't know how I feel about Lex knowing all the secrets and everything. That's, you know, that's a different story altogether. But when he starts throwing the pictures down of Clark's mother, uh, you know, kidnapped. And the only reason he wants Superman gone is because Superman is Superman. And that is Lex Luthor. That is Lex Luthor's. Um, that is Lex Luthor's motive for ever. Um, you know, and, and, and I, I love, I love the, the thing. Now, my good friend, Rich says that he wasn't anything that would have in any way been a threat to Superman or anyone else. And I absolutely disagree because what we find out about Lex in that movie is he is two steps ahead. You know, the difference is, is he doesn't realize how deep in over his head he is. And that's what happens so often to Lex Luthor. Luther as a person is not a threat physically ever to Superman, but it's what he's able to do with his machinations and his lack of a conscience. All he wanted was to have Superman out of the way or to discredit him as a hero. And so everything that's done throughout that movie is to attack, is to come at the character of Superman and to make Superman the villain. And, and it absolutely is is just it, it is a Lex Luthorian plot. It truly, 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 truly is. Um, Zack Snyder is a really great cinematographer. He has he can he can shoot a film when he holds a camera steady. Um, I don't know 
I, I, and here's the thing. We can't lay it at the feet of Zack Snyder, the, the story and stuff. Obviously, he's the director. He kind of has the vision. He was working with the story writers and everything. But the story, you know, was Chris Terrio, um, who also wrote uh, Rise of Skywalker. Um, in fact, if you want to see, um, if you want to see just how much, <laughs> how much this dude is, uh, kind of, I don't want to say he's a one trick pony, but, but how much he'll actually ape himself. Um, look at the Jonathan Kent Superman scene in Batman v Superman. And then look at the one, look at the Han Solo Kylo Ren scene in rise of Skywalker. Um, so, you know, he, he's the screenwriter on these things. And, uh, and so that's kind of his deal. That's what, you know, and, and so Zack Snyder, you've got to say, obviously he approved the story. Obviously he's on board with the story and, and, and he goes that way. But, you know, I, I just look at it and I, I guess what I'm saying is, is I enjoyed those movies, um, more this time around watching them leading up to getting kind of ready for the Snyder cut of Justice League. Um, I watched the original Justice League several, several weeks ago and, um, and it was, you know, it, it is what it is. It's an absolute tonal departure from everything that's come before it. I like the characterization of Superman in, in Elfman's version in, in what's going on there and the theatrical version, I should say. Um, I like the opening scene with the two little boys, you know, and Superman interacting with them on that level. I like him delivering the cheesy line and, you know, there, there's stuff I, I, I enjoy and I really did come away really enjoying, um, enjoying that, that version of, of, of Superman in, in the theatrical cut of justice league. And so I was, I was concerned with the Snyder cut that, that I wouldn't necessarily love it too, too much, but, um, the Superman that is. So, so all that to say this, I came into the Snyder cut with a lot more goodwill towards Zack Snyder and, and company and their take on the DC universe than I had even last year, you know, when, when we were geared up and getting all the announcements about it and everything. So, um, so to talk about the actual justice league itself, look, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. If you saw the theatrical cut, then you know the story beats. Um, Steppenwolf is getting the three mother boxes to create the unity to make way for Darkseid to come to Earth. There were a few things that were added in to that story that made it a little bit more compelling. Uh, Steppenwolf was apparently exiled from Apocalypse um, because of failure at some point, and so he's trying to make his way back home through the, getting the mother boxes and the unity and everything. Um he actually discovers that Earth is the location of the anti-life equation, which plays right into Dark Side. Dark Side is all about this anti-life equation that causes people to basically be uh, living zombies and become enslaved to him, and he ends up ruling the galaxy or the universe because he has it, or whatever the case may be. Um, but everything else comes down to editing and new footage and um and and then choices of how other footage was was used and like well, editing is ultimately a lot less little haha moments from 
certain characters. Aquaman, a lot more subdued. Uh, not a lot of my man and bro and, and ha yeah, you know. Um, in fact, when he's having his first conversation with Batman, you know, in the original cut of Justice League, he's like, dress as a bat, huh? I dig it. You're out of your mind, Bruce Wayne. And then it shows him flop back and swim off real fast. Well, this time he says, you're out of your mind, Bruce Wayne. And Bruce turns to look at something else as these women start singing, which is really kind of an awkward moment. And when he turns back around, Aquaman is gone. Um, that in in that singing thing went on a little too long and it continued on too long. And I'll say this, the music choices for this movie um, were a little... I, I did not enjoy those. I did not enjoy the music choices. I love a good montage. You know, we need a montage. Um, but I did not care for the choices of music in this movie. Um, a little too artsy. A little too... Honestly, a little too sad and depressing. Like, you know, it, it needed a little bit more more power to it and that sort of thing. Um, Daniel Landy has a great question here. He says, serious question, does it really take four hours to tell the story I just told? I compare it to Star Trek The Motion Picture. Now, if you've ever... If, 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 I don't know if you've ever seen Star Trek The Motion Picture or not. I remember the first time I sat down to watch Star Trek The Motion Picture... Um, I was obviously in a messed up state of mind because, you know, meaning I was either confused, sad, or um, being tricked into it. But uh, I was I was watching that, and and I and and as I'm watching the movie, I realize like most of the movie are just these 15 minute shots that pan from one end of the Enterprise to the other. Like it, that movie was all about, hey, look at the Enterprise, here it is. And I'm like, if you cut out those, you know, if you cut out that hour, you've got basically an hour-long episode of Star Trek. Um, here, there's a lot of, um, of, of beautiful cinematography that belongs on a screensaver slideshow. Uh, it does not, it, it doesn't add to the movie. It do, it really slows down the pacing. The first. I mean, the first part, the first two parts, because it's broken up into books, the first two books really move a little too slow. Um, you know, I like it, it doesn't feel like the Snyder cut. It feels like the Snyder, here you go, here's everything. Like, it doesn't seem like anything was necessarily cut other than what Elfman did. Um, which is fine. You know, that's, that's his deal. This was his vision. This was his movie. And he got to do something that, uh, directors seldom get to do. And that is to go back in and, and give us what he was, um, he was really, uh, really wanting the audience to see. Had this been a theatrical release, somehow they would have had to trim 90 minutes out at least, you know, to get it down to like a two and a half hour film. And I think it still would have worked. The other thing that didn't work for me were were all the endings, and this is where you get into spoiler territory a little bit. Um, one of the things that happens in Batman v Superman, as you will recall, is is he has that vision of Darkseid having taken over, and Superman he has the dream, you know, where he's in the dream, and Superman is going to kill him, and that sort of thing, and um, all the Superman soldiers and everything, and parademons and all this stuff. Um, that dream gets fleshed out a little bit more 
at the end of this movie and one of the several endings of this film. And that scene goes on forever. And it really is just an excuse to have Batman and the Joker on the screen together and Batman say some, you know, honestly what I guess what people who consider themselves Batman fanboys want to see. You know, um, I, it did nothing for me. It did nothing to move the story along, especially knowing we're not going to get a, um, a, a, a sequel to this. You know, Rich says in the t- there was so much time, there was so much that was slow pacing. I saw people comment that they gave it time to breathe. It just didn't, it didn't just have time to breathe. It had time to nap, get a little, get a latte, make a snack, do some yoga, answer some emails and post some selfies in a bathroom break. Yeah, that's the thing. It, it, there's a difference in having room to breathe and, and having room to stretch out and, you know, take up all the space. Um, th- th- and, and that's kind of what happened to that. That's, and so now that is, Honestly, my biggest critique of of this movie, because it is the Snyder version of this movie, and because you know you've watched Man of Steel, you've watched Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, you know tonally what you're going to get. There's no reason to expect the tone to shift the way that the Elfman uh, version, the theatrical cut, the Elfman uh, Whedon version. I mean. There's no reason to expect that tonal shift at all. So with those expectations going in, I have to say, um, I enjoyed it. I, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, that, that this is, um, that it was great. I, I really enjoyed seeing everything kind of, um, connect back to the, to the other movies in the franchise. Um, I liked a lot of the silliness being cut out, but at the same time, I like the fact that Barry Allen, that the flash still got to be that comic relief. Um, the, the focus in on Ray Fisher, you know, you needed to have that with him. Um, because, you know, cyborg is not a known entity necessarily to the general public. Um, I, I don't necessarily like the characterization of cyborg in the movie. I don't. Because again, it's that tonal thing. I understand we're going to get a super serious, really angry cyborg. Okay, fine, get it, got it, good. Um, I also understand that cyborg was thrown in. <sighs> cyborg was thrown into the Justice League during the New Fifty Two relaunch of, of DC Universe when they had their whole New Fifty Two thing come about, and honestly, he was done so as, uh, you know because of all the junk that's out there today, you know, all of the, all the stuff cyborg will always in my heart be a teen Titan and that's okay. Or a super friend. And that's fine. You know, that I, I don't mean to diminish that character in any way, but I do mean to say that I think that he, act, he, he's better served in a position where he can shine a little bit more. And they try to make him shine in this film. It's fine. I don't like the look of him. I don't like the, not a big fan of this this origin for him. I'm just not. You know, I, I it's fine though. I'm not I'm not mad about it. But we do get to know him and his father a little more. And and what this movie does give us is some resolution with him and his father. You know, that's something that we don't get in the uh, in the theatrical cut of Justice League. And and his father makes a big choice. It really works out. Um so um now, someone says that, that Whedon cut out when Clark takes Lois back to the farm. 
that was there. Um, that was there. Uh, so, um, and she's, and she even said, you, uh, you smell good. And he says, I didn't before. He even said that in the Snyder cut that all that's there. Um, in, in the Snyder cut, he just says it as they get to the farm and then she goes in and gets him the shirt and everything. Um, though that there wasn't a lot changed from there. Here's, here's the thing. Now, if we want to talk Superman really quickly and now, and, and someone tried to call earlier and I, and, and the phone lines weren't quite open yet. Um, so, so we'll, we'll open the phone lines here in just a moment. Um, here's the thing with Superman coming back. I, you're never going to get, and I, and this is one of those things that I've always had to understand as a comic book reader. You're never going to get the emotional, um, gut punch of the death and return of Superman that you got reading it over the course of several months in the comic books um, back in the early 90s. The Superman Doomsday fight alone that spanned several issues of his comic, and as the panels kept getting bigger and bigger, it was, look, it, to this day, it's still a work of art. The, the fact that the whole idea of the death of Superman was just thrown out there amongst the writing group just to stall he and Lois getting married because of Lois and Clark... And what they did with that event, storytelling-wise, is just huge. Yes, Superman's going to come back. Of course he's not dead. I get that. I get that. But that, that doesn't take away the emotional um, the emotional impact of, of that moment in the comics and then the stuff that goes on after that. And this is stuff that's really kind of hard to talk about. But like... When when Jonathan and Martha take because in in the comic books, Clark's body didn't go back to Smallville. Superman was buried in Metropolis. They had this great this huge tomb erected to him and everything. And Martha and Jonathan didn't go and tell everyone that's our son. And so they're in Smallville and they just get a little box of Clark's things to go out into the field and bury because they don't have him to bury and and they're just kind of in it alone, you know, and 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 um. And it's heartbreaking. And then Jonathan Kent does die. And and Clark actually, there's a whole issue of the comic where Clark actually meets him on the other side. And and his father's like, you got to go back. And, and then, of course, you get the return of Superman uh, in the meantime with the, the four different Supermen. Uh, John Henry Irons is Steel. They called him the Man of Steel. You had Superboy. You had um, the cyborg Superman, who ends up being a villain, and he's in league with an alien menace named Mongol. Um, you have then the Eradicator, which is just Kryptonian computer technology, calling himself the last son of Krypton. And they're all flying around claiming to be Superman. Well, John Henry Iron's not. Steel's not. But everyone else is. And, and really, the only good, pure dude is Steel. And then Superboy is a little bit, but he's got a chip on his shoulder because he's a clone of Superman who's perpetually a teenager. And so Eradicator's just a computer, and so he gets a little rougher and rougher and rougher as it goes. And of course, like I said, the cyborg Superman has this evil plot. Meanwhile, Coast City is destroyed, and all of the Green Lantern and Hal Jordan's friends are dead and just in, and killed in what happens with an attack from Mongol. Um, and 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 then there's this great listen. And what's so great about it is when Doomsday is coming on the scene. You, you the, the 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 panels of the comic were interspliced with thum, 
you know, the sound effect as he was beating his way out. Well, you have something similar take place in the issue where Superman's actually coming back. And, and they're like, something's coming from the north under the sea. It's headed toward Metropolis Harbor. And they show up and this Kryptonian vessel thing, you know, carrying case basically comes up out of the water and it dumps Superman in a black suit with a silver shield, dumps him onto the, to the harbor. The reason he's wearing a black suit is to further absorb the solar energy, the rays of the sun to get back up to full power. Cause at this point, Superman has no powers. He has been dead and now he is, he has come back to life because of Kryptonian technology and everything else. So that's the purpose for the black suit when Superman returns. Here, it seemed like the purpose of the black suit was to look cool, you know, <laughs> to, to try to look cool. And, and I, I didn't know that here, had at the very end when he's walking, when he goes in the alley and he rips the shirt open, had it been the blue suit, you know, with the red ass, I, I would have been more readily accepting of the black suit but this seemed like black suit for black suit's sake um it, it didn't seem and, and i and i know i sound like i'm complaining and i'm not i'm trying to get all the stuff that i'm trying to get all my criticisms out of the way so i can celebrate what i did enjoy about it that's that's kind of where i'm at right now um but the characterization of superman though he didn't have the cheesy lines and stuff him showing up at that final battle was great I'm so glad, you know, I, I'm i glad that they did not have like the little family off the side that the Flash pushes away in the truck and then Superman comes flying by carrying a whole building. I, we didn't need any of that. And I, and I like the fact that the fight got sta stayed focused in on Steppenwolf and, and keeping this convergence, the unity from taking place. And that that all and that happened, and and you didn't get the whole laughing thing after you know they were able to separate everything, and it's a little gruesome, you know. Steppenwolf meets a pretty gruesome end, and we, and we're staring down Dark Side and Desaad, and there's Granny Goodness there as well. It, it was really really cool to see those things. Um, it here's the thing. Yes, it was a little long. That is honestly a gimmick, you know. Just like him going to try to put it out in black and white is just a gimmick. It's not needed. Um. It there there are choices that were made uh, in the music department that I wasn't a fan of, um, and 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 I would have liked to seen Superman. This is very nitpicky. Blue suit, red uh, red ass when it was all done. So, um, so yeah, Superman did absorb the. I, yeah, I got that ten. He's absorbed the rays of the sun when we went up the atmosphere. My point is the black suit here was black suit for black suit's sake. Now, if you've got me on Skype, feel free to hit me up on Skype. I'd love to hear from you now. Phone lines are open to talk a little Justice League. 706-383-3019. Give us a call here at the Wilbur Heath Memorial Broadcast and Recording Studio in lovely Rome, Georgia. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to call in, now is the time. Um, so here's what I enjoyed. I liked the fact that uh, they use the guy's real name. It's not Junkie XL, but you know he did the scoring. I, they didn't necessarily get to have um, Hans Zimmer uh, do do the music, um, but it also felt like he was paid to do a certain amount of music, and they just kind of looped it 
throughout the rest of the movie. Like the music kind of got looped about for the next four hours. Like he did 30, 30 to 45 minutes worth of movie music and they looped the rest. Um, and of course, you know, uh, and part of that was like the whole Wonder Woman thing. You know, they had the whole um, ancient lamentations, I believe is what someone said. The the subtitle said, um, but uh, but the, the but then it would go into her theme. Um, that sounded more like Get Smart than the Wonder Woman theme. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Is that get smart? Dun, 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 dun. I don't know. Anyhow, um, but you know, like like I say, I really like the fact that Barry was used for comic relief, but he wasn't an idiot. You know, he didn't have the whole conversation with Batman during the first battle of like, I've never done this, I've never fought anyone. Like he got to doing his work, he did his job. Um, there was the the trip in that first battle where he ends up in a really awkward position with Wonder Woman. That was cut out, which I thought was great. You don't need that kind of laughiness there. He's funny enough as it is, and he's doing some cool things. I was so happy that the fight with Superman when he first comes back as he's holding Aquaman and Wonder Woman and Cyborg and Flash is going to kind of come around behind him and flank him. As Flash is running, he's looking at him and he sees Superman cut his eyes at him, at the Flash, and Barry just kind of gets that look on his face. That is one of my favorite superhero moments in superhero cinema Um, because it is scary, but it is also well done and played for laughs. Um, But you know, it's going to be, there's going to be some trouble. And then, of course, Barry falls and it hurts him to fall. It hurts him to trip and fall at that speed. And I think that's, that's wise. That's smart. we don't have Batman making his. Um, we don't have Batman making his little funny quips like he made. Um, you know, I'll take. The <laughs> you know, let, what is that get smart thing? Give me just a second. Uh, yes, somebody, if you want to do Justice League standing, <laughs> do that thing where they're standing on top of the the tower. That's you know, do it. That's fine. Um, let's see. Here we go. Not to be confused with the Wonder Woman theme, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the stuff with Aquaman and Atlantis, it was really, look, it was a great tie into what would come with Aquaman with Willem Dafoe's character being in this movie. Um, Aquaman, you know, was very, there was some talk of his mother and stuff and, and his disdain for, um, for Atlantis and how he feels like they treated him and his mother or how his mother treated him because he's not full-blooded Atlantean on all this stuff is there and it sets up the stage for what will come in in Aquaman in in the movie Aquaman which again look I watched Aquaman recently again uh for the first time since it was in theaters I really enjoy that movie I really think they did a great job they did something that um that I didn't think would ever be able to be done they did Aquaman and when he comes walking out after having gotten that trident and he's in the Aquaman suit 
you know, the the green pants, the orange scaly shirt. I, look, that come on, man. That is that is a comic book come to life, and that's really what I want out of my superhero movies. I want these comic books come to life. So uh, 706-383-3019 is we're discussing Zack Snyder's Justice League. And I know, look, I know there has been some uh, con- controversy with um, with uh, with Zack Snyder and uh, some YouTubers and that sort of thing. But uh, look, I, I'm not here to talk about all that. All right. I believe this is our good friend, Rich. What's going on, man? Wait, I've got you. I've, I, I turned up the wrong volume. What's going on, Rich? Well, now I can't hear Rich for some reason. What is happening? Why can't he be heard? Hmm. Hang with me. Don't go anywhere. Don't go anywhere. Um. Make sure what's happening here. Everything should be okay. There, I can hear you, Rich. Rich, I can hear you now. Rich. Rich can't hear me. That's what's going on. Rich can't hear me. I can't hear you. That's funny. You can hear me? Because I can hear you, Rich. Nope, I can't hear you. Okay, so you can't hear me. All right. Well, that explains... I can hear you through my computer, but not through my phone. Well, and I see exactly what the problem is. Rich, how you doing, man? No, that's not right. Oh, I thought I'd done it so well. Rich, can you hear me now? How about now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Okay, now we're good. Okay, you're very quiet on your end, but give me just a second to try to fix some of that. How's it going, man? Oh, it's going, dude. How's it going for you? I'm going all right. I'm doing all right. I'm just, uh, well, I'm just trying to, uh, to have a little show here fix your audios and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, I've got to get a different setup with my Skype situation. So, and but that's fine. But I think we've got it all rolling now. So what's going on, man? I know that you, some, now listen, somewhere between, between your retirement day and now, you really turned a bad corner on Man of Steel. Oh, no. See, I, yeah. so Man of Steel was not overall, bad my frustration was as it has been with many of the dc properties lately you took what were classic heroes for kids to look up to to emulate there's even the whole bit in man of steel where jor-el says be the light be what they can look up to what do they do at the end of the movie he murders somebody it's not a let me find a better way to solve the problem he snaps the guy's neck yeah yeah and then even with this so like i watched the snyder cut and my first thing was Okay, Wonder Woman's just gone in, and she just threw the guy against the wall, crushed his skull. Right, yep. And then she uses her bracelets, obliterates this guy into nothing. It was like, oh, that's disappointing. Well, and what's great after that is she turns around those kids and says, it's okay now. Is everyone all right? Good. Yeah, you... little girl, can, can I be like you? Really? <laughs> sure, yeah. You can kill anyone you want. I, I get what you're saying there, but I also, like I said, I think at the outset, for me, just kind of knowing now totally what this is going to be. I just kind of am taking this for what it is. DC has kind of decided when it comes to their outside of their comic book properties and really even in their com- somewhere along the way, they decided we wanted to be the grown up comic book superhero company. Um, oh, and honestly, I think a lot of that, my opinion was that it came from Deadpool 
Deadpool was rated R, made a good amount of money, and they went, wow, let's try that. And they never got away from it because it started with their animated movie where they introduced Aquaman, strangely enough, and they show Mira firing water arrows into people's skulls watching the mm-hmm. blood drip down, their eyes roll back in their heads, and they fall over dead. And I thought, wow, but, I could never show my children this. But, you know, they were doing that on those direct-to-DVD movies. from Right, the, that's what those are, yeah. The, yeah, the, as, the uh, but they were doing the that They were doing that as early as the Superman Doomsday one. There was language in it and that sort of thing, you know, which, you know, regardless of what you think of language or not, it's like, should this be in a in a comic book property? You know, he and Lois are up doing adult things at the Fortress of Solitude. And that, and that just, and it kind of continued through and they just continue to get kind of darker and darker or, or more and more violent and stuff. So these things aren't made for kids. And I Very think much so. and I, when it, they did, um, teen Titans, when they did the, the Judas saga and they've got the young girl and I can't remember the character's name Tara. is right. Seducing, um, Slade Wilson. Right. And it's like, uh, no, right. <laughs> right. It's not okay. Yeah, that's, you know, that's the thing. And it's like, but in the thing, and now if you look at like, and I don't suggest this to anyone, I just can't suggest the cartoon. I've heard people, you know, rave about it, but the Harley Quinn cartoon that, that was on the DC uh, universe right. app. And I guess now it's on HBO max. Now it's on, yep. I mean, like it just starts out just dropping F-bombs left and right, you know, and it's done in this bright, colorful, cartoony way. And, and I, and so I, look, I, I agree with your frustration about the, the take on these characters and that sort of thing. Well, that um, makes me sad because you have this, this company that says, Hey, how come we're falling behind? And it's like, well, you're not allowing to have a base where you have kids who are allowed to grow up watching this and have role models because, you know, as good as the stuff is, you know, we as, as older adults who grew up on the Justice League and the, you know, Ruby Spears Superman mm-hmm. and, you know, Batman the Animated Series and some of those, yeah, okay, you know, we had that where you could have these younger kids that got brought into this, became fans, you know, the 90s Flash, whatever it was that got you hooked, and now you had something to go into. But then when you start rolling it over towards, I literally, I've only ever gone back to letting my kids watch the super friends watching mm-hmm. like Ruby Spears, Superman, right. because there's none of the modern stuff that they can really watch. You know, I even let them watch a lot of, you know, some of the Marvel stuff mm-hmm. as we were, we're very careful about it. Like we let them watch flash. It's what the only current running series that we actually let them watch. Cause right. it's, you know, it's got some scary stuff, but it's not usually over the top, Yeah. but they've not allowed that appeal to the younger generation say, let's bring in new blood. Let's bring in kids who we can appreciate this Yeah. because they, they've taken that away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I kind of laughed, you know, we'll, we'll go back to justice league. And I think when I first sat down to watch it today, I sat down, hit play, and I fold the laundry, watch this four hour movie. <laughs> I'll try to do my best to be open to it. And when the blue screen comes up at first and it says, this is being presented in four by three format, to, for Zack Snyder's vision, and I stopped and hey, pause, and I just started laughing. Right. It was like, really? You have a modern filmmaker who filmed this specifically for four by three? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, Warner. Nice, well, nice try. Well, they but say no. they say it's because of the IMAX format, but I but IMAX isn't in a four by three format, is it? And this is where no, I don't it, know enough about cinema. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it's the filming, so a standard. 
wide bo- a letter not letterbox um which is what they they presented it in but widescreen is what most stuff is shot in now so yeah okay you're right an IMAX screen is slightly taller mm-hmm. than a standard film but it's right. still not 4 by 3 cuz it's 70 millimeters right so it's not it's not quite the same. So well, I was like, okay, I can understand that a little bit, but to play it off like, hey, we're giving you the old school black bars on the side because yeah. it was part of his vision. <laughs> uh, no. Well, and that's no. what I was that's what I was saying to Dave Jones about the situation. It's like I know um that that, you know, there were a lot of people like, Well, it's IMAX format, it's IMAX format. But when you watch The Dark Knight and and it goes back and forth between the footage that was shot for IMAX and then footage that's just, you know, standard widescreen movie fare. Right. What happens when it goes to IMAX footage, it just fills the whole screen up, left to right, top to bottom. And you don't have black bars suddenly on the side. Right. And and so and and I don't and again, I don't get the ratio aspects and everything. There's a lot of people the four by three didn't really bother me so much when I knew what to expect it, but I also I can't, I can't understand this being someone's vision myself. I'm like you. I don't understand, you know, how it is someone's full vision because we, I don't know. I, I, it, it's not enough to it. Listen, at least the camera was held steady. I'm watching. I've kind of got Correct. it rolling right now. It didn't bother me. It just made me laugh. Yeah. Because it was like, oh, okay, sure. Uh, moving on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was. I mean. There was not a drum. I think there were there were differences, obviously, between the two films. But mm-hmm. to me, it was not this hugely dramatic difference. There were some story beats that were a little different, but then there was also stuff where it was like, okay, did we need almost full entire music? Like it wasn't just a little snippet of a song that he liked that he thought went with his character. It was like entire songs. Yeah, yeah. Like during these montages, and toward the point where you're dragging out, going, "Okay, is the movie moving on?" You know what it was. You know what it was, Rich. It was it was a more artsy version of early two thousand superhero movies. In some ways, I mean, and you go into it knowing this is the guy who who did three hundred. Yeah, yeah. Really super artsy, and I loved three hundred. I thought that was great. That's one of his film few films that he's done that I was like, "Oh wow, that was awesome." So, when, of course, when I went into Man of Steel, it was like, I expected there to be some of the artsy, you know, stuff. But it was, you know, what choices, where are your choices going to be? Part of their excuse for why they did Man of Steel the way they did was, we want it to be more realistic. Right. Okay. So, you entered Justice League with the opening scene of Clark's death when Batman has to shoot the arrow and it hits him in Doomsday. And... They're both dying, and Clark proceeds to scream in this from 18 angles, showing the rings of sound that you know you mm-hmm. would have expected from the Justice League, Aquaman, telepathic thing. Right. Warming out across the entire planet. It was like, okay, so you went for something that was more realistic, but your sound waves traveled the globe in a perfect <laughs> ring that went underwater when convenient, but, but not when it wasn't. And it was, was like... But, I understand we're doing this as comic book, and you, so, you know, from a comic book perspective, okay, that makes sense. But pick where you're drawing your lines on. We're doing this because it's realistic, and we're doing this because it's sci-fi, and because we can say so. Right. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I understood that whole sequence at the beginning, and that was one of the things that kind of went on a little ways, you know, a little while. Um, but, but I understood that sequence to be cause we kept going, we went to the locations of all the mother boxes or like would we go to Victor and he's touched by the mother box kind of thing. You know, he's got the energy of the mother box in him 
And I really understood that to be like, all right, the, the real defense of Earth is now gone. Right, and they they just to me it they waited too long to make the actual tie-in, right. but they didn't do it until all the heroes came together. Of well, yes, it was a signal that the mother box was able to detect that now the Earth didn't have a yeah. Kryptonian, so it didn't have a protector. Yeah, when, and my thought was, okay, you tied it back to when this started, the first time that that Darkseid's ever been defeated anywhere. Is the premise was when this mm-hmm. happened on Earth, the first planet to chase him away. But there wasn't a Kryptonian. There yeah. were the Amazons. There was the humans. There was Atlanteans. Right. There's still Amazonians. There's still Atlanteans. There's still humans. So why would the mother box necessarily have pinged just from Clark's death? I mean, it's not <clears throat> bad, but it was right. a, it was a plot hole. Sure. Yeah. I mean, look. I, and here's the thing. I, you know, for me, it's like, all right. Obviously, they realized there was a Kryptonian on the planet for at least the past thirty some odd years. Um, I, I, you know, it, and it's like his death obviously signaled something, and that's right. fine. That's fine, you know, whatever. But also, if you consider this, how long had that Kryptonian ship been on the planet, you know, and that might have been what was holding them at bay. Well, now it's pretty much destroyed and devastated. Now the last Kryptonian has died, you know. So I mean, like, I can I can weave my way through those plot holes, okay. You know what I mean? Like I mean, it was just if you're going to take four hours to do it, there should have been less hiccups. No, that's true. <laughs> yeah, if you if you're going to take four hours, you should be able to plug all those holes up just fine. I, I hear you. I hear you. when I said it was like it was like a mu- it was like an early two thousands. I was talking about the music video aspect of it, a more artsy version. Because like you said, they would do they did for almost all of these characters like some weird musical kind of montage. But do you remember Daredevil? And um, this song, I don't know if you can hear this very well or not. Remember that? Yep, Evanescence. Evanescence, yep. yeah. And remember, like, there's the whole sequence of her just training with the sandbags, you know? At least that rocked out a little bit for 2003 or four, whatever it was. <laughs> well, yeah, and that was the thing. Some of the music choices were just odd. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, some of them fit well. You know, you could see where they fit on, but even then it was like, Okay, you could have like played half the song. You know, the Halloween right. chorus was okay. Uh, got it. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Are we? Yeah, we're still there. Nope. Song's still playing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. There. Like, I'm. I'm like you. There were some weird choices musically, and I. And I was thinking that as I was watching. Um, and you know me. I mean, dude, your Star Wars is your big thing that really pushed you into a lot of stuff. Yep. The Superman's always been mine. I mean, sure. you've seen the stuff I have at my house. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, the, the hordes and hordes of Superman stuff I have. So, yeah, yeah. I, and I always try to not be the comic book guy. I don't ever want to be that guy. Right. Whereas you knew if you had just twisted his three degrees to the side, it would have been much more accurate. Right, you know? right. But there were things that, you know, you move with the multiverse. So that would, you know, and that was, I think, honestly, my thing was you made it four hours. You could have done the the awesomeness that would have been to have included a scene with Grant Gustin's flash the same way they had Ezra Miller show up yeah. on yeah. the crossover episode yeah. would have been a whole, people would have just flipped out. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree with that a hundred percent. I also think that one, and you know, I don't know how you feel about the whole injustice thing. Um, the storyline, with Superman going evil because Lois dies or whatever. And, you know, they made a whole video game franchise out of it. Yep. And, yep. uh-oh, what has happened? I, I started something I didn't mean to. Um, I, I don't like that. 
You know, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm not a fan of Superman going evil at all. Um, unless it's Superman three and he's going to be good again, you know, uh, he's going to fight, unless he's going to go fight himself in a junkyard and, um, and be good again. I, I don't, I don't like the idea that everyone seems to just dig on, you know, that they want Superman to go bad. And it seems like they're kind of going that route in this thing overall. Um, if, if these were, if these movies were to continue, it seems like what we would end up getting is evil Superman. Well, and I was like you, I was, you know, when they did the scene at the end, to me, he should have been wearing the standard Superman you know, outfit. Right. And it was funny because the scene where they show him afterwards, after the battle, you know, they're meeting up and there's Bruce and Clark standing side by side. Mm -hmm. And all I could think of was, well, now they've got two things in common. Both their moms are named Martha and they both wear black. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> like, no, come on, please stop. I'm like, yes, the suit's cool, but it was for a purpose. Like, did exactly what you pointed out. It was for a reason. Right, right. And then we moved into, you know, back to the symbol he's supposed to be for, you know, getting people. If the everywhere on earth was the black with silver showing they were in mourning, okay, well, he's back now. We can stop mourning and be happy that he's here. Right, right. Yeah. And the character is supposed to be the ultimate symbol of hope. In most of their stories, we don't have to do it that way. Let's draw it back, bring it full circle. Yeah, I'm. I mean, like I, I'm. I'm with you. I was looking for that that blue and red suit to be back on, um, you know, and and trying to figure out like what is the reasoning. I again, because of being a comic book guy, I understand the reasoning for it. You know, in this in this film, he just chose it. <laughs> he's like, okay, there's the blue and red one. No, I'll take this black one here. You know, he was window shopping and he, and he picked it out. He, he pretty womaned it basically. And so I would have, you know, I would have liked to seen him go back the other way once everything was said and done. Um, but, but that's even like the stuff they did at the end. I mean, even the scene where, okay, you're right. You played to the fans, you brought in, you know, some of the characters that are a little less known. Yep. You brought in the, their version of Joker, and it was like, okay, this is dragging longer than it needed to. Like, you set the tone, you set the snippet, go. Yeah. I'm well, expecting Ferris Bueller to pop up in the background. It's over. Yeah, go, go, go home. Go yeah. Away. Well, I just want to know, you know, who wants Deadshot in there so badly? Or Deathstroke, I mean. You know, like, like what is what is the deal? What's the deal with Deathstroke? I mean, like that's that's the thing that kind of surprised me is like obviously they had the yacht scene, which was a um, Yahtzee, um, which was a uh, which was the you know kind of a post credit scene originally, um, and they tacked it on to kind of the Lord of the Rings style endings um, this time around, and there and there comes Deathstroke. Well then. He's the one that's around with Batman in the dream sequence. And I'm like, why? What, you know, what is the value of this character? You know, what is the, the deal? The thing I can see is because they tied it in, if they had continued that arc, and of course they weren't going to cast it the same way because mm -hmm. Will Smith doing the stuff, you know, well, now, what now, character are you picking for Suicide Squad? Are right, now I messed up. Deathstroke, or are you bringing that stuff around? Yeah, I, so it's Deathstroke. Correct. That is, Deathstroke is who they showed, Slade Wilson. Okay, and so, yeah, I'm sorry. I, they're I said, tying it back into Suicide Squad with Joker and some of the others. You know, right. Are they going to go that route? Are they trying to tie in what angles are they coming from? Are we doing the um, 
you know, the, the Legion of Doom, or are we doing something with Suicide Squad? You know, where are they playing their titles? Right. You know, what were they expecting to come next if that was his vision? Because you do, you have another Suicide Squad movie with a bunch of, not even B characters, C characters that are in the next Suicide Squad. Right, C characters <laughs> and Harley Quinn. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, it, look, I, I, here's the thing. I, I, I guess for whatever reason, I did not have the adverse reaction to this. Um that I kind of thought I would even, like I say, this time last year. Um, I I do think that, I think that Zack Snyder told his story a little more completely. Um, He he better have, he had four hours. Four hours. I do think, I do think he could have stood to have, like, like I said, edited a little bit here and there. You, you could easily lose 45 minutes from this film, if not more, and still everything be intact. Um, I like that Mark McClure, uh, in the, and rather than being his cameo being with the flash, it's with Lois Lane. Um, you know, he, in, and, and I didn't catch this until I was rewatching the justice league, like the other month. Um, he's the, he's the officer that's behind the desk when Barry Allen's going to see his dad. Um, and, and I'm like, I barely caught it. You know, and I just caught it because of one thing that he said to the to the dude behind Barry, where Barry writes on his face, draws on his face real fast or whatever. Um, and here he was the officer that was Lois was bringing her bringing the coffee, the coffee to, yeah. Right. And I just thought that was a much more fitting cameo for him to actually be interacting with Lois Lane because it's Jimmy Olsen for crying out loud. Um, and so I was glad to see him. Um, you know, I so I think there's. I think for me, there was enough to like about it. <clears throat> I have my, Haley and I started watching it, and she went to bed, and I stayed up and continued to watch it, and just never stopped. Like I just let it. I, I just watched it to the end, and with the agreement that we would get back together and we would pick up where we left off with her to watch. And and I've been making her watch The Office this week because I just can't bring myself to even go back and like we were only an hour and a half in, and it felt like we were two and a half hours in. Because of yeah, the slow pace of the film, and yeah, so I haven't like reach over and tap the remote and be like, "Oh, yeah, it's only been an hour." Yeah, so I haven't had it in. I haven't had the energy to go back and watch. But I feel. Listen, here's the thing, though. I feel the same way about the Lord of the Rings extended cuts. I love the extended cut Lord of the Rings movies, and they're all three and a half to four hours long. You know, the Return of the King is a four hour long movie, and and I love it. I am not against it at all. But I have to really psych myself up to sit down and watch it um as much as i love it and and i always am happy that i did um i don't know that i would have the same response to this to repeat it again and again and again i know my friend Kristen from rock out loud she loves it and she's and she's going in for number three this weekend oh good Lord. um you know and so but you know here's the thing good for her i'm glad you know Kristen's like us she loves these these heroes and stuff she we just did a Rock Out Loud Smallville edition, um, nice. you know. So you know, it, it's it, it, that's that's kind of the thing. I I I do feel like this movie was made a little bit better by the the original director getting his hands back on it. Um, but and it is, and then, you know, I couldn't even bring myself to watch like just thinking about watching the original cut. Now that I watched that one, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, mm-hmm. well, mm, I'm not sure if I'm going to sit through that for right. at least a few days. It moves a lot but quicker. Was, I agree. There was there was stuff that was set. I like what they did with Steppenwolf. Yeah, they yep. fleshed his character out. They yep. gave him more of a backstory, and it was more the character 
from the comics versus just this, here's a quick scene, here's a quick scene, here's a quick scene. He stomped on people. Okay, let's fight him. Right, exactly. So it was great. I think the introduction of Desaad, um I thought their animation on Desaad was a little interesting. It looked like uh, the IROC character out of uh, Ready Player One. Okay, all right. He did his makeup. Yeah. I always picture him a little bit more human-looking, um, but often he changes his appearance to blend in when he's doing stuff anyway in the comics. But it was great. I mean, the background stuff, you're right, like the fanboy things. They, when they show the background, they show the boom tube open. And it's mm-hmm. like Desaad, yeah, Dark Side, and Great and Goodness. So yes. okay, the only thing they're missing is having the Furies in the background. Yep, yep. And you could have got, you know, it was great. I think I was a little bit interesting that they chose to play it that Mother Box was inherently evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Mother Box isn't necessarily evil. I mean, yeah, if you go into the comics, you have the Father Box, the Mother Box, the New Gods, the Dark Side, you know, the right. whole mythology that Kirby did. But, you know, it was, it was interesting to choose to be that angle because, yeah, then what you do with Cyborg, who is based on this technology, you know, was that going to be something that was going to come up if they did a movie with him later? Were they going to play into that? Would have been interesting to see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they're going to now that, you know, he's had such a uh, hard break with Warner. Um Yeah. Which would have been, you know, some of these things are kind of, it's one of those, oh, that's a missed opportunity. Uh, but overall, I mean, it wasn't a horrible movie. I didn't walk out of it going, oh, my gosh, the worst thing I've ever seen. But there were some, you know, there were some parts where I laughed still. You know, like you mentioned, Bear, the stuff with Barry was still good. Yep. I'm still not the biggest Ezra Miller fan as as Barry Allen. Yeah, I, uh, I, 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 yeah, he take he definitely takes some getting used to, but, you know. Yeah, it's, it's almost the, the California chilled out yoga version of Barry Allen <laughs> that we're getting. In some ways, uh, for sure, yeah. But it's not, he's not a bad character. I, you know, I'm spoiled. I really like the way Grant, Grant Gustin has done Barry for the the, the series. Um, but it wasn't bad. I mean, it was obviously there again. You know, you kind of go back to the comics, and every time I start spinning myself with, you know, the whole I'm sorry, Clark is supposed to be, you know, six foot four and have blue eyes and whatever. That's what the comics are very clear about. Mm-hmm. And okay, the, the can always cast perfect. Henry Cavill was a great choice, and it's a multiverse. Put it aside. Don't be the comic book guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there were parts of it that were great. I mean, there, you know, there's always when you see you know him for the first time flying, going up to the sun, mm-hmm. and you know this whatnot. There's always that part of me that so that geeks out, right? You know, it, it's Superman. What's there not to geek out about? Right. Yep. Um, so it was great. I mean, overall. I, I, there are still flaws. Mm-hmm. I'm not my favorite interpretation. These last, you know, set of movies, I think yep. they've still gone too dark, Yep. but that's been Warner's issue for the last, you know, decade and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I, I completely, I completely agree with you on that. I, I do think that, um, all of these, all of the, all the stuff Warner has done with their DC properties, like I say, outside of the comic books, they've gone a little too adult, too grown up, too dark. And I, and I don't know that they, they realize just what a corner they're painting themselves in because we're going to age out and die quicker than they may think, you know, and, and, uh, and, and for how long, how many decades were these characters written and appeal to all ages? Um, you know, and yeah, you have to take out some of the language and you have to take out some of the more adult themes and that sort of thing. But, you know, if you can get people hooked the way we got hooked, 
you know, for years and years to come, then what's the downside? You well, know? and my frustration at the end of the day is, okay, so you have a category of movies, the types of characters that these are. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what you should never do in, uh, in radio, and I'm going to ask you a question. I don't know how you're going to answer it. Okay. What is the category of movies that these are? Um, I, I guess you'd almost have, I mean, obviously, you know, in, in the past 20 years, it, they've become their own genre, the superhero genre. Um, there you go. But the if you go, word it, right there, hero. Yeah. 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 And that's what they've missed is you're taking these people and it's great to make them more relatable. Mm-hmm. It's great to make them so you understand that they have real life issues, that they have things that they think and feel like we do and they rise above. But you keep falling short of that rise above. Give me somebody that I can point to and to my kids and to, and, and you know, whether it be a teacher having a read a book day or whether it be somebody watching a movie, that this is somebody to emulate. Mm-hmm. This is somebody that sets an ideal. They're not just heroes, they're superheroes. Mm-hmm. And we, I think they've lost that. I think they've, they've, that's been my biggest frustration with a lot of what DC has put out is they've forgotten that these are stories about heroes. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I said, I said years ago, Rich, that, that, you know, one of the dangers of, of Smallville being so good and the characterization of Lex Luthor being so good is that we came to this place where we wanted to make the villains so relatable and that ended up alienating us from the heroes. And we ended up liking the villains a lot more than we liked the heroes because they would try to bring the heroes down to a human level and they'd become so flawed, they might as well be the villains. And the villains were just so conflicted and victims of their own circumstances, they might as well be the heroes. And and the roles yeah, ended up you, getting you reversed. Just feel for the hero or feel for the villain so badly. And that was my thing with, with Joker, you know, when we were talking about what's what. If they had never said that this was related to the DC universe mm-hmm. and then a story about this guy who has this condition and how much your environment can affect who you are, about how treating people with kindness can really one way or treating them as, you know, the downtrodden and just stepping on them while they're down and what effect that can have on someone's psyche and played off that. Okay. It was a bit long, but it was a good movie. Yeah. But to make that the Joker, that character to me was never ever in any way somebody that was going to be a challenge to the world's greatest detective. Right. Right. You know, Batman would have looked one look at him and went, okay, put cuffs on him, throw him in Arkham. And that would have been it Mm -hmm. because he only ever escaped by sheer convenience. Not because he was, you know, smart and insane, but because he was lucky. Right. And it was like, okay, so let's not make it so relatable that you're like, Oh, I feel bad for that guy. Oh, you feel bad for him but he's still a villain. Right. It, somewhere along the line, he made a choice, you know, that he did something that you just, you cross that line. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and yeah. the heroes, you know, the heroes can have things they stumble on, but you know, when you start, you know, that was my biggest, you know, grief with arrow when it first started. Yeah. Okay. Your prime hero is spends the first dozen and a half episodes murdering people. He doesn't agree with. Uh, I think we have a different definition of a hero here. Right. Yeah, it gave him room to grow, but I'm sorry, the rest of the superheroes at that point would have been arresting him and locking him up from the go. <laughs> right. So, right. you know. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Roth in Wyoming says these movies just aren't for kids anymore. The MCU is barely for kids. I agree that in my perfect world, they would be much more family friendly, but that's not where the money is in these in the studio's eyes. And I think that's the problem. In the studio's eyes, the money's not there. 
But when you have a family movie come out, they always do very, very well. Um, you know, obviously, like you said earlier, you know, with the MCU movies, there are even some things you you don't you know want your kids and make sure that they don't. You may not want your kids watching that sort of thing, but, um, but you know, Zack Snyder, of course, again, he's the director of Three Hundred for crying out loud. In his cut of Justice League, there's a little bit more gore. There's a little bit more, like there's a blood. Like I, in the whole Wonder Woman scene, as they're walking in, as the bad guys are walking into the place where they're going to blow up the bomb, you know, like dude shoots a dude in the head and there's still just blood splatter on the ground when they move him and everything. You know, that, uh, even, even Nolan didn't get graphic in his, that graphic in his, uh, Dark Knight stuff. It was like one of the most violent movies without showing blood there's ever been. Um, well, yeah, I mean, they did that in the first one. I mean, when they did Batman v Superman, yeah. you know, this is one of the times the the poster, when it first came out, I sent the poster to Maurice and, and cause he's, you know, my, my counterpart, I'm the Batman fan. He's, or I'm the Superman fan. He's the Batman fan. Mm-hmm. And I said, look at this poster. It tells me what's wrong with that. And he goes, why is Batman carrying a shotgun? I said, yep. <laughs> and the Batmobile has machine guns and he's yeah. gunning people down as he's driving down the road. It was like, oh, um, well, you know what? Batman's got his rule. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> the the whole Batman gun thing, I I gave up on a long time ago. That in the '89 Batman, he had machine guns pop out of the Batmobile to blow something out of the way. You know that that rule, you know, that was put in place back in the you know '40s and '50s, in in and in into the '60s to keep you know the kind of the comics code or whatever. That thing is just now a, a matter of convenience. If we want Batman to have some kind of gun, it's fine. If he doesn't, it's okay. Um, you know, if he if he gets a gun, it's to use for a specific purpose and a specific thing. You know, he needs the blunt force. Right? It just it's like we might as well just let that rule go because that's not how it is anymore. But it didn't bother me that the machine guns were there. If they had been like you know, oh, he you know knocked the vehicle out or he did the wall. Now he's the bad guys. Like he right. lit them up. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right. He did. <laughs> so, and, again, and you're right. And that's the you know, what generation you're looking towards. You know, you know. Somebody in the chat mentioned, well, you're talking about you know, the Fortnite YouTube generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like yeah, you are, but you're also talking about the same generation that is still, you know, Disney. If if it wasn't able to make money on kids, where would Disney be? Right. Obviously, right. there's a money to spend there. Well, you know, it's and you get them going early. It's in customers for life. Daniel and Andy said it earlier. He's like, it's just like Hasbro. Um, he, you know, they either go to adult or baby that they make their toys for adults or babies. And that's about it. There's no in between. You know, I, I look around in my room here in the, in the Wilbur Heath Memorial, um, broadcast and recording studio. And I have toys from when I was a child that are war toys. Those are Star Wars, you know? Um, but there's conflict involved. These guys have blasters. These guys have weapons that they're using right. against one another. But it was also space fantasy. You know, it was also the, 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 it wasn't gratuitous violence. Luke lost a hand, you know, but they went out of the way by the time you got the empire to, to not be bloody, you know, so the wounds were cauterized and that sort of thing. Um, and even once you get to, you know, the most grotesque scene in Star Wars is when Anakin Skywalker is coming up in Revenge of the Sith, you know, that George Lucas knew this is going to be beyond what I ever wanted these movies to be. And so it's the only one to ever be rated PG-13 for that reason. I don't, you know, I, I think the idea is not a lack of violence or a lack of, of conflict. 
that's needed. I think it's the idea of, you know, the lack of unnecessary gratuitous gore um, or a glorification of, of the violence and that sort of thing. Um, right. And it's when do the heroes make a choice that, that life has a certain value. Right. And they're always, you know, that was part of what I was so glad they did with Smallville and some of the others was there's always a better way. There's always a way around this. Yeah, even in the comics, you have the one episode storyline. Gosh, I think when it came out, it would have been when they had the alternate Supergirl story with the Matrix. And so they go through the same, and Superman has to go to the alternate universe and try to protect her and all this stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah. And he kills Zod. Yeah, yeah. And yep. he kills all three of them. And it affects him so badly, his psyche breaks. Yep. Gangbuster. And split personality, correct. Yep. And it was the whole series with that, you know, with Guardian trying to figure out what was going on with this other hero that was, you know, suddenly in town and whatnot. And there's not, you, know, you don't see that now. Right. You know, right. And I get it. You know, Derek talked about it when, when Man of Steel came out with the, you know, hey, it was, it was early. He was young. He's inexperienced. He's, you know, these kinds of things. And I can get that. But it still would have been nice to have had there be that definitive line of, no, there's always another way. Yep, yep. A way to stop him, a way to do something different that wasn't, you know, where they went. Because it became too easy, you know, that we talk about the slippery slope. It's too easy to make an excuse for, well, it was this. Okay. Yeah. But then they never address it. They just walk past it. Yep, yep. They well, could have done something with him having a breakdown, you know, the discussion with Lois. You want to make him more feel more human. You want to make him relatable? make that a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Let it, let it be something that bothers him. And you know, I like, like I say, I, the, the, I guess my thing is it's like at this point coming into this movie, knowing what had come before in the prior two movies, I knew what to expect, you know, as far as the tone, as far as what we're going to get out of these characters. And, and I think that caused me to be more accepting of it and enjoy it more. Um, you know, did you find it interesting? Did you notice that it seemed like Bruce was, it was almost that he was becoming the fill in for Clark in some ways where he's the one saying, have faith. I believe it'll work. I believe in these guys. Well, that's the thing is I think that what you have with Bruce is the natural progression of the, the conclusion he came to at the end of Batman V Superman. Um, he made a mistake in not in not getting to know Superman, you know, in, instead just thinking he's there for war and going to take him out. I in in and rather than um make that same mistake again, he's going to try to be a uniter, not a divider. And I and I do appreciate the fact that, you know, that Superman's death brought him back from the brink of darkness. Um I think that's one of those things it's the problem is is I feel like the the thing about superheroes is the same thing that that is with Star Wars, is subtlety needs to just be out the window, hit hit people over the head with what's going on, you know, and and I and I feel like that is a little too subtle so that when you get him, but I do like I like Bruce Wayne in this movie I like Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne, I like Jeremy Irons as Alfred. And I like the relationship they have. You know, uh, Alfred is another little bit of comic relief we get with some of his things. And, dude, when Superman shows up to talk to Alfred, I'm all in. Like, 
I, I oh, just, not only that, but I was impressed with what I did not expect that I would say would pop me off guard was the introduction of Martian Manhunter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that was really well handled the way that, you know, that he shows up as Martha mm-hmm. and then, it's, you know, and revealing that it's the general that was full looped in from the very first movie. Yep. There's been, you know, helping pave the way, even though I didn't seem like he was, you know, going through that. Uh, it was interesting that he introduced himself as the Martian Manhunter, not John Jones. Yeah. Uh, but no, that was it was great. You know that that was like okay, that's awesome. Yep. Um. <laughs> Chris Hansford said, "You're talking about a lack of morals in society that's been lost for a whole host of reasons." That's true. That's true. And I, and look, and I think that's part of the disconnect is you and I both, Rich, have an expectation of um, of what these characters. You said it yourself. They're heroes. They should be able to be looked up to. And we have certain expectations based on our worldviews and who we are. And, 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 and if, no, if nothing else has been made clear to me in the past you know, three or four years, it's that there's not many people in Hollywood who share my worldview. And, and so they're not going to concern themselves with the legacy of these heroes. They're not going to concern themselves with the higher meaning of these heroes. Um, they're going to look at the here and now, and if they crank this out now, will people like you and me go see it? Will we sit down to watch it? Will they get the clicks? Will they get the views? Will they get the money at the box office? That sort of thing. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it, you know, Chris made a great point there in the chat. So anyway, <laughs> then my father is truly dead. That's what Luke said in Return of the Jedi. That's right. Um, and Daniel Lanny says he thinks it's an excuse for poor storytelling. That could be the case, you know. What is? I mean, where do you choose to? Well, you know, we can't write, you know, true too too strong because we'll turn off the audience. Right. Really, have a little faith not only in the history of your characters but in the people that are showing up to watch them. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I say, man, I don't fully disagree with you. I, I do feel like that I I enjoyed this more than I expected, and um and and the and I think there are some some great takeaways from it to enjoy, but I do, I do bemoan and mourn the loss of, um, kid friendly superhero films, you know? Um, so, so I I think we're in the same boat there. Well, buddy, I appreciate you giving me a call. Uh, you have, you have now, uh, I I don't know who you've, who you've been like, but you've now done that thing where you, you called in and and now 45 minutes later, I'm going to try to wrap you up. No, so. no worries. Dude. You just tell me when we're off. We still have to do our Doctor Who episode at some point. That's true. Only. That's true. I do owe you a Doctor Who episode. And man, and talk about another. Anyhow, look, let, let's not turn that into this tonight. Rich, I appreciate your brother. Appreciate your friendship and appreciate you calling, man. No worries. Give our best to Haley. Give her a big hug for us. Sure will, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, man. All right. That's our good friend Rich Rafe Blake in the chat, and we appreciate him calling in, talking. And look, I'll be honest with you, I was I was very surprised to see Ray uh, to see Rich being critical of of these things because I remember I was honored to be asked to do the invocation, his retirement ceremony from the Air Force, and uh, that day afterwards we went to see with his friend he mentioned Maurice. We went to see Man of Steel, and and those guys were kind of okay with it more than I was, but. Um, but I, I, I'll be honest, I'm surprised at how much I've been okay with this. A um, couple more points. Uh, the Amazonians, they got their fight fleshed out a little more. 
we mentioned Steppenwolf and the look of Steppenwolf. I really like the look that he had, the armor kind of thing that kind of moved with him and shifted colors here and there. Uh, it, it was alien and, and kind of a neat look, you know, that you didn't really get to see fully in, in some of the previews and things, um, the way that it actually moved and was almost kind of a living extension of himself. Um, really did really like that. I, I love the Amazonian stuff. I thought that they, um, <clears throat> that they, that they did that and, and did it well. So, um, yeah, the number if you if you're still around, I know we've got several of you still hanging out is um is 706 uh 7063833019. We'd love to hear from you or if you're my friend on Skype, feel free to to give us a call in as we uh as as we talk all, all things Justice League. Um, there several things that, that were changed. I know someone mentioned when we were talking Lex and that end credit scene that it had originally been in the credits, I think with Lex on the boat in, uh, in Deathstroke showing up. Um, they, they, they moved it to, uh Oh, let's see. We got someone nine, seven Oh, hello. Hello. Hey, hey, Steve, how's it going? It's Ross from Wyoming. Hey Roth. How's it? How's it going, man? It's going well. How about yourself? It's going all right. Welcome to Geek Out Loud. Thank you, sir. I um, I love this thing. Great. Good. I'm okay. I, wonderful. Yes, I thought that it was. Uh, Snyder had a quote a couple of weeks ago in an interview he did about how Marvel does this thing that's like a action comedy with a heart, mm-hmm. and they have it down so well for DC to try to imitate that would be foolhardy. Right, right. And what what DC has is this epic story that they can tell and take the audience on a wonderful type of ride that is definitely more darker, but and I I mean epic as in like a Homer's epic. Right. Yeah, like I totally I totally that. get that. Yep. Mhm. Mhm. Um and I I think he just nailed that. Um I mean the 4 hours wasn't even a problem for me. Yeah, which is weird to say because I don't like long movies. Yeah, well, I I, I want to make it clear the four hours wasn't an issue for me, but I can I do feel like that because it wasn't theatrically released that Zack Snyder took a lot of liberties that he would not have taken to to get this movie, and I don't think that that necessarily played into the strength. I don't think the runtime plays into the strength of the movie. I think I think there's a lot of room to edit and it still be a really good, well-told story without cutting any of those story elements that got added back in. I think it really plays more into their moments that just drag out, that, that there's not a point in dragging out certain moments that long. But uh, again, I don't, I don't think that that makes it, it's not necessarily, it's not, I'm just bringing up as like one critique I have. It's not something that ruins the movie yeah, for me. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I don't disagree at all. I mean, I think this could have been three hours and 15 minutes yeah. shorter than the Irishman and probably been maybe better, but, um, yeah, I, I think the additional stuff with Cyborg really helped this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Um, because really in the original one, and I've only seen it once or twice, yeah. but it, you just really didn't get a whole lot there. You weren't attached to the character. I agree. I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. And I also, the fact that in the, in the theatrical version, Cyborg's father comes off as cold and absolutely uncaring about the situation with him. And here we get to see him actually have the heart of a father for his son. And a nice little Ryan Choi cameo. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. That was pretty fun. Um, to me, the worst part of this movie was the introduction of the Flash. Oh, wow, really? The the saving Irish yeah. scene and getting the hot dog out of the yeah. hair? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it is. It, it might be because I'm just so in love with Grant Gustin's portrayal of sure, the Flash yeah, that I can't sure. get over it. Yep. Yep. But it, and also, to me, the whole Flash running is not well done. It, it, I think it looks terrible. It's a weird, it's a weird body movement that he gets. When yeah, he, yeah. Even the form is weird. Yeah. That's, I guess that's what I should say. The word form, no rather than body movement. That, that makes more sense. Yeah. The form is well, very strange. Well, you and me are necessarily known for running. No, I'm not known for running at all. <laughs> um, yeah, that's not, I, in fact, I try to avoid it at all costs. <laughs> But yeah, but no, for sure. Only if a bear's chasing. But I tell you what I don't do when I do run is I don't like lean incredibly forward and let my arm lanky arms just go everywhere and flail about mm-hmm. as if it's independent like, from my body. Yep. Um it's just weird to me that a TV show with a relatively small budget compared to 70 million dollars in reshoots was able looks better. Yeah. Yeah, the flash stuff. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. He's got a very weird, awkward movement of of running and everything. I liked the initial introduction because it was funny. And like when he grabs the hot dog, for a moment I was like, "Wow, they're ripping off X Men here." Yeah. Um, but when he gets back and 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 he's with those dogs in the pet store where he was trying to get the job. He's like, I always keep meat treats in my pocket too. I think that's why they, I was like, okay. <laughs> so he's thinking, so not only is he super fast, but he's thinking about a million things at once. You know, he's thinking, I'm going to save the girl. Oh, there's a hot dog. I can use this to get this job. You know, like he's doing all of this stuff at once. And I think that really speaks to his intelligence, you know, the, the extent of his powers. Um, and and it to me it was a good button on that entire scene. Again, yep. the music choice to me was not my favorite, but you know, um, yeah. but but I did kind of like that scene a whole lot. Um, and I do agree with both you and Rich that they just don't get how to tell Superman stories. I don't think um, if they would have flipped which uniform he wore or. Uh, clothing he wear if you would have wear the blue suit when he came back and the black suit when he's bad mm-hmm. that would make a lot of sense oh sure oh yeah 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 you're talking about like in the dream sequences where he's evil sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i yeah that's kind of a weird thing to me that they use when when dark side touches him on the shoulders but and that's why i thought at the end when he opened his shirt up it'd be the blue and the red because it's like well obviously he goes back to this um, but the fact that it was the black and the white, I was like, well, that's kind of a strange or the black and silver. I'm like, that's kind of a strange choice, but yeah. it's, it's a nitpick thing. I'll say this about the super, about telling a Superman story or really about all these, you know, you talked about what Snyder had to say about Marvel's storytelling and cinematically versus 
what Warner Brothers is doing with the DC characters. I heard it said like this years and years ago. Marvel has characters. DC has legends in their roster. And yep. and and you can. I don't think that you have to um, get out of the reach of children, if you will, to tell epic legendary stories. Um, you know, and you don't have to. Uh, you, you know, you Marvel does do a great job of the heart and the spectacle. Like literally, that's what they have going for them in their films, heart and spectacle. But they also kind of nail a comic booky feel with things. With DC, you can have a legendary story. Like I, you know, the Wonder Woman situation. Um, the first Wonder Woman movie to me, when she steps out into no man's land, you know, and like it's kind of like here I am, here's everything that I am. Um, yep. You know, is this awesome moment that the studio didn't want in there, but it's like, this is the most legendary, great introductions. If you're going to do Wonder Woman during World War One, this is the greatest way to introduce Wonder Woman right now. Exactly. Um, Absolutely. You know, and and I, I even like Wonder Woman 84. I haven't talked a lot about it on this show, and I know I'm in the minority with that, but I what I enjoyed about Wonder Woman 84 was was the comic bookiness of it, but also it's like the world almost came to an end in that movie. And, and that's, <laughs> and you know, and that's something it's like, usually when that happens, when the world, when it's a world ending scenario, you have the team, you know, what we've gotten in comics or in the movies lately has been, well, that's when the whole team gets together is when the world's going to end, you know? Yeah. Um, and otherwise it's just, I guess, you know, that there's some exceptions to that rule, but you know, for, so for her to be say, literally saving the world and, and sacrificing to do it, there were plot holes. There were things I didn't necessarily care for, but there was a lot again in that movie that I did like a lot. And, 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 and it's kind of an epic story of love and love lost and, and, you know, and, and mythical objects and all this other stuff. And, and I think you can do all that and still be accessible to all generations. Star Wars is myth, yes. you know? Yes, for sure. And Gal Gadot is just such a good Wonder Woman because she, she brings this kind of awesome modern-day independent woman thing, but she also brings, like, such an emotion and vulnerability. I always yep. think about that when she sees a baby for the first time seen in the original wonder woman, mm-hmm. it's just fantastic. Yep. Yep. Um, and I mean, that's something that DC's done or Warner brothers has done very well is casting these people. Um, everybody pretty much is spot on. Even Martian Manhunter was for the 60 seconds that we saw him seemed like a very good casting. Mm-hmm. Um, except for Jared Leto's Joker. <laughs> oh man that was just brutal yeah yeah it almost ruined the movie it was uh it was out it seemed very out of place like that's the one thing you know there's good fan service and then there is gratuitous i don't know in the wrestling we call it the cheap pop yeah. There's cheap pop fan service. And I feel like Joker's scene in this was a cheap pop fan service. To me, they the only reason they put it in there was so they could have some marketing material be like, oh look, we have the Joker in this thing right. for the trailer. Well, and apparently that's the only extra sh- shooting that he did for this film was that whole sequence. 
That's I, crazy. I read an um, article. I read an article where you know most of the budget that came in was for post production style things, and when it came down to actual reshoots, really the only thing they shot fresh was that dream sequence to get Jared Leto's Joker in there. I was wondering about that. I was wondering what they did reshoot because there is a lot of added stuff. Well, and I think here's the thing, you know, the, the, the theatrical cut is said to be directed by Joss Whedon. And I don't know if it's still this way, but the, here's what I know from Superman two is that for a director to get credit, he has to have directed over 50% of the film. So probably what you end up with Whedon's cut is just a lot of reshot scenes that had already been done. Um, yeah you know, so that he could get that credit in, in the film, even though they still gave Zack Snyder credit in that, in, in the original, in the theatrical release. Um, I, you know, I, I have mixed emotions on Martian Manhunter showing up as Martha to Lois's apartment, because that's a very intimate, um, emotional conversation that is very powerful and very poignant. And for it to be him, and I get why it is him trying to get her back out there. I, I to me, it feels almost like a violation of trust, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, and very, and granted because he's an alien, he may be willing to do that, but I don't know if they couldn't figure out a way for us to realize that, that that's the, 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 I guess he became the secretary of defense by Batman versus Superman, or he was someone, you know, on some kind of defense council. Um, but basically Cooper from blacklist, um, you know, for us to see that it was him, I don't know if they couldn't figure out another way to do that or whatever the case may be so that he didn't have to go into a human form when he's talking to Batman at the end. Um, Mm -hmm. but I did like his exchange with Bruce at the end and I like how Bruce was seemingly going to fight. Yeah. But I also like how Bruce was kind of just unfazed by it all, (laughs) you know, as he was talking to him. So um, I, I will say I'm glad they left the scene in it. It's probably my favorite scene in the whole movie is when they finally bring back Superman and it's Aquaman and Wonder Woman and Cyborg kind of holding him back and Flash comes up. And when Superman's eyes kind of dart over, yes. Flash just has yes. a look in his eyes. It's such a great scene. Like, holy crap, this guy is like as fast as me. Like, I'm we're in a world of hurt. Well, it's funny, and it and it kind of shows you the extent of Superman's abilities, and it shows you just how powerful and and dangerous if he doesn't get in his right mind, he is. And but yeah. gosh, I yeah, that is one, of, and that was one of my favorite things about the theatrical cut was that moment. And so yeah, I'm like you, I was so glad that that they left that in there uh, because I just think it's 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 a really it's a really great moment. The whole bringing Superman back sequence to me made a lot more sense. Um, it was, and it also set us up for the way things would be done at the end where Barry's like, when I get close to light speed, weird things happen with time. Mm-hmm. And so rather than you have to touch it as soon as it hits the water, which is what was in the, the theatrical cut. It's just like, you need to get this much speed up so you can actually charge this thing. And, um, and it, it, it lays the ground for the later scene. That's yeah, exactly. Time. Yep. It lays, it lays the groundwork for what will come, um, at the end, uh, there, you know, which is very much, uh, you know, a, a movie making trope and, and style of doing things. So, 
Um, yeah, I, 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 I like what they did with Barry. I like that his, com- his comedy was toned back a little bit, but that he was the only one that was really played for any laughs in, in the movie because, you know, everyone getting their little one-liners in here and there kind of makes it too much of a Marvel movie mm-hmm. in, in the theatrical cut. But here, you know, to have that little bit of uh, comic relief is good. It's needed. You know, comic relief is needed. So. Yeah, for sure. Um, my last point, I'll let somebody else hop on. Or sure. Let's wrap up. But um, I, I did think it was a very beautiful movie, except that one, the flashback scene where Darkseid first comes to Earth, that looked like a like mid two thousand CGI video game cutscene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um I also I you know, I know that it was extended a little bit and it was played out a little bit longer than what it was in the theatrical cut. But in the theatrical cut we saw a Green Lantern die and the ring float off. You know, like we yeah. we saw that happen and, and, and people kind of making a big deal about, oh, there's Green Lanterns in this. Well, there wasn't theatrical cut. I think a lot of people are kind of right. forgetting what was in the theatrical cut versus um, versus what's in the Snyder cut. And you know, yeah, the Lex Luthor scene was in there, but there was a lot of there was a difference in the conversation that went on too. Lex in the Snyder cut tells Deathstroke the the identity of Batman for crying out loud, um, right? And and he doesn't do that in in the theatrical version. That that whole the whole uh, oh. That's right. I was thinking the whole yacht scene was just from no, it, the original. It's cut. a. It's, I guess there's they some, did. There's some. That. Yeah, there's some different dialogue there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah! Wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And to me, it's like, well, can you do anything more evil than reveal the secret identity of someone like Batman? You know. Right. Um, as far as just like pitting yourself against the, the, uh, the villains. Um, the grave robbing scene seemed a little more serious this time. They didn't play it for laughs like they did. It, it did. I, I enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. I, I, weird to say I enjoyed it, but I, I thought they did it well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the kind of gravity of the situation and even flash saying like, you know, we could do this in like two seconds. And the reason they're not doing that is to try to show some sort of respect. Right. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, but I'm like you. I think I think the I think the movie is a beautifully shot movie, and and I think that's one of Zack Snyder's strong points is he's a great cinematographer. I think that he has a great eye for um, for what's going to look great on a screen. Um, you know, the aspect ratio. I'm like you. It didn't really bother me so much as I do scratch my head at the reasoning. I, I feel like the reason. I, uh, I heard somewhere that. It's because this way nothing will be cut out mm-hmm. at home on your TVs, no matter what you're watching it on. But I don't know if that's true. I know yeah. nothing about that stuff. Right. I I'm don't, like, I don't know. Just just put it up on my TV and let me drool and watch Right, it. right. Um, oh, Tenton mentions that Kilowog is seen dead in the dream sequence. That's true. That is true. I did notice that. I did notice that. That's, that's a great point there, Tenton. Thank you, sir, for bringing that mm-hmm. up. Um, 
Yeah. So, well, Roth, it's good to talk to you, buddy. I appreciate you calling in you too. And, and giving your yeah. viewpoint. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I, you know, I, I, my intent was not to come on to be critical. And, and I know that Rich and I kind of ran the gamut of, of some criticisms and everything because it was, that's ul- fine. It was a good conversation because ultimately I did enjoy this and I keep coming back to, I think it's because I went in knowing what to expect and and I found more enjoyment in Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. I think there's a lot to like in both of those movies um, that I that I kind of didn't. I don't want to say I didn't give it a fair shake the first time around, but I just it took me a while to come around to it. How about that? I'll say it that way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, so yeah. So so that really kind of helped me lean into this a little bit more and lean into this take on these characters and. And, uh, and so I'm glad you, I'm glad you're digging it. And, uh, and, and I appreciate you giving us a call, man. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, could I get a cheap plug in? Yeah, of course you can. Of course. I'm learning from the master. I, I have my own podcast now. Oh, what is it? It is called a good day for a movie podcast. A good day for a movie. All right. And we are reviewing justice league. We've already recorded it coming out on Thursday. Fantastic. And this is on iTunes and wherever people find podcasts. Yep, but where everybody finds podcasts. Awesome. Fantastic. A good day for a movie. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Great talking to you. Good to talk to you, Roth. We'll talk to you soon, man. Bye. See ya. Roth in Wyoming, a good day for a movie podcast. Check it out on iTunes or wherever you you get to movies. You know, I haven't gotten to... um, to WandaVision and uh, and 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 in Winter Soldier and Falcon yet feel free to call in uh, uh 706-383-3019 that's 706-383-3019 if you want to talk some more Justice League or anything um two great here's what I like I like that we got a good contrasting views on Justice League one from Rich one from Roth both of these guys entrenched in the mythology entrenched in these characters they both know them well they both have long histories with these characters as as do i and and so to come at it from two perspectives and see those things i think is just fantastic i think it's a great way to kind of compare the views of this movie i wish we we started too late what i'm going to try to do is get Kristen on a special episode to talk justice league because she absolutely is eating this movie up and um, and, and her excitement is so contagious when she gets fired up about something. So we'll have to get Kristen from Jersey on, uh, to talk about it at a later date. Uh, look, uh, this movie is, is, is fantastic. It really, the way it looks, the way it's shot, the way that things, um, the, the way that things go, the return of Superman, the, the, um, the final battle there in Russia, uh, like I say, the fact that we're not distracted by, um, this family here or there, and you know, they have a, it's a classic superhero thing of here's, here are the objectives we have, um, to accomplish in, in getting this done. We've got to get in, we've got to bust this defense. We got to do this. And it's a war to get to the final battle. Like that's, and that's some good stuff. I really enjoy, um, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And, and again, the, you know, the battle with Superman and, and, and our heroes, you know, before Lois shows up and stops him and then, and then going back to the farm and, and, and all of those moments, you know, that you want to have with Superman's return and, and Superman coming back. But I'm telling you this final, the final battle is, you know, it is, it is the spectacle you want to have. It's, it's everything you want. Superman coming out of that ship, and, and though he's in the black and silver, 
um, mirroring what goes down when we first see him come out in the suit in Man of Steel and, and you know, kind of doing the superhero pose down and the gravity working up around him as he gets ready to just shoot off into the atmosphere. It's good, and it's gorgeously shot. It's beautifully shot. It, it's just such a... It really is. And so I came away really enjoying this. You know, it... It's at the end of the day, it's a superhero movie and there's not many superhero movies that I don't like. And I think that's kind of the, uh, you know, where, where I'm a bit of a sucker, um, for a lot of this stuff. I, I do want to mention WandaVision. I I know there were a lot of people who they love the penultimate episode of, of WandaVision, which is where, um, you know, we get the full layout of how this all came to be and what happened and, and and all of that good stuff. And then the the last, the finale is kind of the big battle. You know, it's it's Wanda and Agatha fighting and it's vision and vision fighting and 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 it is the, if this were had this been had this been a four hour movie, you know, this would have been that final act of the final battle. And I think that as the show went on, and once you got to like the third, fourth episode and people were starting to get information and they were putting clues together and everything, that that became kind of the fun of that show is trying to figure out who's behind what, what is who, who is where, you know, all that good stuff. And when it's all kind of straightforward there for the end of it, I think a lot of people were, were a little bit let down. I enjoyed it. I love that Wanda learned, you know, the the whole cast runes all across the 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 hex so that Agatha couldn't use her magic anymore and that Wanda finally did let everyone out there's a there's a great you know feeling of loss and sacrifice there at the end as the you know and you get the idea the boys know what's going to happen excuse me real quick got to hit the cough button and you know you kind of get the sense they know what's happening as they're being tucked in or at least one of them do and of course the goodbye with her and Vision is great but there's still vision out there and vision wanda's vision the wanda vision if you will um unlocked the memory of rebuilt vision and then he left so he's out there somewhere and with it it would appear with like jarvis's memories or vision's memories back fully intact if not the emotional side of things. And that's one of the cool things about in the comics, when Vision was broken down and rebuilt later, he remembered that he and Wanda had been a couple, that they had been together, but he did not, he could not replicate that emotion, his programming, in his programming, he couldn't do that. Um, and so that's going to be interesting, hopefully down the road in, in the in the MCU to see. Winter Soldier... Or Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, look, the the first episode was setting up a lot. It was a lot of setup. It was a lot of kind of setting up the structure of what's going to be. We didn't even have Bucky and Sam fully together yet, um, as they will be. Um, what we saw were two guys trying to pick up the pieces after the events of Endgame. You know, and and what do you do? And and that's one of the things that we talked a little bit about bringing the superheroes into the real world. Um, That's one of the things you got to be really careful about doing. Iron Man 3 played around a little bit with the idea of Tony having PTSD from what went on 
in Avengers. That's a little bit of this going on in Falcon and Winter Soldier as these guys are kind of trying to go live a normal life now. And Winter Soldier, of course, has all kinds of stuff messed up from what his life was for all those years. And Sam is a soldier now trying to come home and trying to do the home thing and trying to fit back in. And and you see that there are real-life problems and things that kind of got put to the side for all the adventure and everything. And that's, and look, and, and, and you don't want it to get too depressing. You want there to be the real world issues and the real world problems, but you don't want it to end up being too depressing. And I don't think it ever got that to that point. I like the fact that Sam gives the shield to the Smithsonian for their display, trusting them to use it for display. And then at the end, we're introduced to the new Captain America, John Walker, who does, as my friend Lethargic Chewy Lucas pointed out, look like the old man from Up. <laughs> it was a, he really looked weird there at the end, um, to be fully transparent. He did have a weird look to him. We do know he'll end up being a character named U.S. Agent. Uh, he's going to not be a good guy when it's all said and done. Um, I think I think what we're going to be leading to here is Sam taking up the mantle of Captain America. Now, in the comics, both Sam and Bucky took up the, the role, the mantle of Captain America. I like Sam as the Falcon. Um, the Falcon is a great character, and he was always a great character. As as And look, he was... He went with Captain America like peanut butter and jelly in the comics. For the longest time, the comic was Captain America and the Falcon. Um, they were a team. They were a pair. And you can't call Falcon Cap's sidekick. He was literally a partner. They were partners in, in, in what they were doing. And so I do think it's going to end up being Sam, at the end of this whole thing, taking up the mantle of Captain America. I'm okay with that. When it happened in the comics, I was okay with that. It seemed to fit. Knowing that Bucky was back around, the original sidekick of Captain America and all that he had been through, um, I was okay with him taking up the mantle of Captain America. That See, ultimately, that's the thing. I think both of those guys are worthy successors to Captain America. What I'd really like to see is Captain America come back and take up the mantle of Captain America. Um, and I don't, I don't know how that would work. You know, I look, here's the thing. Endgame was such a, in so many ways, a perfect ending to everything that had been done in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that really, you know, this, this year they've ended up having off because of the pandemic and not getting anything put out this past year. Um, you really kind of could lean into, all right, time for a reboot. I'm not saying we should do that, but I am saying that just like in comics, the further you go with a, with a continuity, the more convoluted said continuity is going to become. Uh, you can end up with that in the movies as well, especially if, you know, because now you're not dealing with people drawing pictures. You're dealing with actual people, human beings who age out and, of roles and who retire and who have to have to kind of go away. Um, so I think, um, I think that, I think that what 
what we may see as, as we move forward here is not Captain America come back, but we will see these guys take up the mantle. In the comics, you could have Cap come back, you know, even from even from the age. Well, I guess what I'm saying is the MCU to me, if you if you ended in game, you've done well, and everything else we're getting now is gravy, and there's going to be some of that gravy I don't want, you know, I. I don't care about the Eternals and I'm not going to see the Eternals. That's not a movie. That's not a, that's not a movie I'm going to choose to watch. And there are several reasons I have for that. Um, <clears throat> the Eternals were Jack Kirby trying to do new gods in the Marvel universe. Jack Kirby's new gods are great in DC, but the Eternals are boring in the Marvel universe. Um, so there's nothing that appeals to me on that level to, with the Eternals. The other, there are other social issues that I have with that movie that I just I don't feel like giving my money to to support, so I won't be doing that. Um, and that's my prerogative, you know. And uh, and and I'm not hoping that it fails. I don't think anyone should lose their job. I've just it's not for me, and it's not going to be for me. There are other things that I'm sure I'll dig and get into. The third Spider-Man movie that's coming around. I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to uh, Loki, the TV series Loki. Uh, because they're going to get into the time variance authority and that sort of thing, which we really need to talk about some of that. We don't need to. I want to talk about some of that on future episodes and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I, look, I, here's the thing. I, I'm i looking forward to this show, Falcon and Winter Soldier, continuing forward and those two getting together and us getting into the thick of the plot. I think it's going to be a great kind of buddy-buddy, buddy action flick, lethal weapon-ish um, you know, kind of thing going on there. I think that with Zemo coming and actually putting on the hood and being a being a villainous mastermind, it's going to be great. You know, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, and this U.S. agent guy, this this new Cap, I looking forward to him snapping and having to be taken care of. It could be fun. And um, and then two weeks after this this show's over, uh, here comes Loki, and I'm really looking forward to Loki. I'm looking forward to what we're going to do there. Um, with that particular franchise and that particular thing. So looking forward to more Falcon and Winter Soldier. And as, as, as that airs, I'm sure you'll see some, some talk and chatter here and there about it. And, um, and, and, and we'll be talking about it here on, on the geek out loud and, and that sort of thing. Um, well, we've gone on now for a pretty substantial amount of time. Thanks to people calling in and you guys hanging out with us. It's a, for those listening to the recording, this is um, this has been a classic late night um, geek out loud. So I appreciate you guys who've been up, staying up late with us, hanging out with us. It's been fun. It's been fun to talk some of this stuff because you know I haven't really gotten to. I'm going to close out with this. One of the things that's kind of come around in my life big time. I'm I'm on a big collecting kick right now, um, and and I've I've talked about. Uh, some, some people I follow online, I I would commend you to, uh, just Jay Hernandez on YouTube. I would commend you to father's figures on Instagram. I would connect, I would say to you, check out, uh, fizzled customs on Instagram. Um, these are a lot of great guys that are more into toy photography necessarily than toy reviews. Just Jay Hernandez's toy reviews, his, his action figure reviews. I really, really enjoy um, he does a lot of great posing and, and stuff with him, but he also, uh, gets into what his take on, on the various figures and stuff. Now he's not reviewing everything. Um, he's not, you know, you're not going to see, 
here's the new X-Men wave. You're not, you're going to see the things that he likes, but you're going to see him do some really cool things with the things he likes. So check him out. Just Jay Hernandez on YouTube. Fizzled Customs um, uh, is someone who who does, and what I'm, and that's one of the things I've kind of d- dove into a little bit with some of this is is custom work for some of the Marvel Legends stuff. I I just got in the mail before we went live today and recorded. Um, I, I reached out to a to a group that I'm a part of on on Facebook about making custom capes for for a Toy Biz Doctor Strange figure. There hasn't been a Marvel Legends Doctor Strange made uh, like a classic Doctor Strange look as good as what Toy Biz did with their Doctor Strange. The problem is this figure is now, gee willikers, um, 15 or 16 years old. And because Toy Biz was so huge into articulation, the joints are very loosey-goosey. There's a lot of joints and they're all very loosey-goosey. And Doctor Strange's cape, and the Toy Biz version was this heavy, heavy um, rubber cape. And so I reached out and said, is there anyone that makes these cloth good things that would be willing to do maybe a custom job cape? And this dude said, oh, I made a custom for my Doc Strange. And uh, and he sent it to me today. It's it's the great, it's a cape of levitation, some great gold trim on it. It's a darker red that fits right in with this with this Strange. And the cape is wired around the edges. So you can actually shape the cape to look like it's in motion and it's doing some cool things. And I've learned to make these flight stands out of basically a certain gauge of wire. Um, and, and I can perch these guys on flight stands and they just look, it's so much fun. And, and the shelves now look better with these things standing on them. Uh, they, they, it just, it's a great, it's a great, great, um, great. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun doing this. I, I did post um, a video of my shelves on my Instagram at Steve Glosson. Um, I have to post a few things. Oh, Bendy Webs, Webs with a Z, makes these custom webs for Spider-Man figures, and I showed those off on the latest uh, YouTube video. And uh, and I've got Spidey up on a flight stand, you know, slinging some webs and webs spinning all over the place on him. It's just I I'm really. Look, I'm playing with toys, but it's like you're not really playing with toys. You're displaying your toys, and that's what it's. That's when it's a ton of fun for me, is when I get to do that kind of stuff. So, um, so that's kind of where I've been at. I've also look. I don't want to get on to anybody. I don't want to make anybody feel guilty about anything. <clears throat> but I do want to say this. There, I know that the cool thing to do is not email. I know that it's not cool to email anymore like it used to be. But man, that was the heart and soul of a lot of Geek Out Loud was responding to your emails. So, let me ask you. <clears throat> what are you geeking out about? Shoot me an email at geekoutonline at gmail.com. Geekoutonline at gmail.com. Join our little group over on Facebook. If you're on Facebook, go join the Guardians of the Goldiverse group at uh, the easiest way to get there is by going to geekoutonline.com slash group. Geekoutonline.com slash group. Uh-oh, I knew it. I saw them talking about it. <sighs> well, well, well. 
We meet I keep sending you nudes and email, and you never respond. I don't know why you're complaining. We meet again at last for the first time for the last time. <laughs> for those of you who haven't been longtime listeners and don't know who this voice, this is Daniel and Indy, um, great friend of the show for many, many moons. How are you, sir? Unwanted friend of the show. Uh, I'm doing all right. You doing okay, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's you know I hadn't done a late night one like this one. Um, for a long time, so it's it's kind of fun to be back in the saddle doing this. Won't happen my a lot. My wife's back to work at night, so I I gotta you gotta do something. Hang out, yeah, yeah. hang out online sometimes <laughs> while the kids are trying to sleep. Yeah, well, that's always fun times. And you've got what twenty kids now? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, well, wow. so, you know that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah, I I can't even, dude. I I've not even watched. I think Wonder Woman was the last thing I watched. Wow. wow. As far as like any of the DCU, yeah. I'm sorry, it's just not for me. Well, you know, I checked it, out. Yeah, I and, checked out like halfway through Wonder Woman. Yeah, and you're not the only one. I mean, like you're not alone in that. Um, and I get it. Like I don't like that's the thing. It's like I get it. You know, I, I, I kind of trudge. I will see a superhero movie because it's a superhero movie. I may not revisit it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I'll see it. Um, and now to say that the the, the the fact that the people that wanted to see this, that they got to see it, I think that's fantastic. I, yeah, you know, I think if it's... If you're a fan of Zack Snyder and you got to see it, that's fantastic. You know, I wish they would... Golly, I would just take some script outlines of the sequel trilogy that Lucas had written up. <laughs> yeah, look, I, now listen, know. listen, it's after 12 midnight listen, where I'm at. Listen, I'd, he could, you could post, I would post those on the wall at the urinal... And I would read those in depthly more than anything else that's come out of the Star Wars the last few years. Mm. Now, wait, did you watch? Did you watch Mandalorian? I liked Mandalorian, but, okay. but hey, first time I came on your show, what I tell you, Dave Filoni knows what he's doing. Right, right, yeah. And I've never had an issue with Dave Filoni, but we all know there's there's a lot more going on there. Um, yeah, and John Favreau is doing great. I yeah. actually, I mean, I went on, I watched John Favreau's cooking show. I could care less about that. Right. You know, oh, I, I do listen. Watch Hell's Kitchen all the time. Most entertaining thing I've seen the last year. You saw in the chat. I wrote about it. I, is Cagney and Lacey? I still don't know which woman is Cagney and which one is Lacey. <laughs> I know the one that has a husband. One has a dad that's an alcoholic. I think he dies. Spoiler alert for that thirty-year-old show. Oh my god! And the other woman, uh, her husband, like has an accident at work. Those are like my two vivid memories of watching that through quarantine. Well, all right. Well, I didn't do that during quarantine. Um, I, my that life. And we watched that Miami Vice, and we're in the middle of watching Stargate. But I wanted to say something real quick, though. Yeah, they're missing generations of kids. Yeah, yeah. On stuff. Yeah. Hasbro. It's like my kids don't want these crappy little toys that mm-hmm. don't look anything accurate to the to the movies or TV shows. Right. But at the same time. I'm not spending 20, 30 bucks on one figure. Right. Yep. Yep. You know, there you go. put out a good toy. My kids can go uh, now the transformers. I don't mind. They have a ton of transformers. They, and, and it's, and if you show them an eighties, like Walmart had the sound blaster. Yeah. Yeah. One of my boys saw it and I was like, yeah, we're buying that. <laughs> he loved that. He yeah. loves that stuff. He loves the old eighties transformers. He got into beast wars. He's gotten into all the transformer stuff. Cool. But when you go and buy those toys, they're 10, 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. They come with a ton of accessories. They come with a ton of stuff, ways to play with them. Mm-hmm. 
they're not just to sit there and look at. Well, the great thing about Transformers now that they didn't, that was not in the eighties in the eighties, if you bought a cheaper transformer, it was going to be a little guy, you know, the size of Bumblebee or gears or somebody on a card. Now you can spend, you know, like you say, you can spend 10 or 15 bucks and get a decent little transformer that looks like it came out of the cartoon or, or the show or whatever. And, or you can spend 70 or 80 bucks on a big mama jama transformer, you know, like, like, what do you want? Do you want a transformer? I can take my kids in, they can get a Mario figure. They love Mario too. Mm -hmm. Um, you can get these Mario action figures. They come with a little toy. They're posable. They're not articulate or anything. Right. Yeah. But you can play with them. Yep. Or you can buy a transformer you can play with for ten bucks and get a lot of value with it. It's got you know even the transformers now they got the stats on the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everything. Yep. You you buy a Star Wars toy. You can get those like they were selling the last bit of three and three quarter inch. They were selling them in cylinder tubes for ten dollars, and it was Luke yeah. with just plain black. Five no points, yeah. Five points of articulation, yeah, yeah. It, those that was ridiculous. And what Hasbro's done is, is and honestly that toy is not awful, but it's not ten, twelve dollars. It's not a yeah. It's not if a ten dollar toy. You want to throw that out for five bucks, my kid, or five or six dollars? Yep. That's fine. Absolutely. Yep. 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 But it's it's like the um, it's like I used to say like with the NBA. You see the NBA right now doesn't they're not getting any ratings. And I know a lot of people say it's because other things, and it's prob it probably is. But it's also the fact that, like, when we were kids, if you watched college sports, if you watched the NBA, it was on local TV, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. everyone could watch it. And I know TV's changed and everything, but you didn't have to pay extra to find it or see it. Right. Yep. And if you're a poor kid, like, we didn't have cable. Yep. That's what you watched. That's yep. what you grew up on. And and now, like, if, like if I want to watch the Pacers, it's like, if you go through a cable company, it's like, you got to buy the $90 package. Yep. You're skipping... You're, uh oh, Daniel, we lost. There you are. Can you okay. hear me? Yeah, you 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 blocked that. You you you. The cable company's coming for you. Basically, it sounds like. Yeah, it's but it's like it's like Hasbro's doing now, and it's like these other companies. They go after the adults for mm-hmm. these higher price points. Yeah. But the problem is, is then they're just skipping an entire generation. Yep. And then they're wondering why these kids are moving on to other things, and and there's plenty of stuff like I know someone said Fortnite in the chat. You can. But it's like, why aren't you tying in with that stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Hasbro's starting to. They're doing some G.I. Joe Fortnite, and I think they even had Marvel Fortnite happening. And so yeah. I, I think that Hasbro's getting a bit of a Fortnite license coming up soon. Um, you know, but look, those Fortnite characters, I was telling some of the kids at my church, they were talking about playing Fortnite. I said, y'all know that one that like looks like he's in a skeleton costume, and they named him? I'm like, yeah, that's from Karate Kid. 1980s yeah. <laughs> i said y'all know that dude that's got the burger for the head they're like yeah and they named him i'm like that's a mcdonald's character from back in the 70s and 80s <laughs> yeah i'm like that's the joy of those things that i see it's like i know nothing about that game but i see those characters and i'm like yeah this would have fit on my shelf in the 80s you know yeah. with everything else going on the other well, th- and it, it's 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 value for the money and i used to be against like my kids like buying paying money for digital costumes and Mm -hmm. stuff but then at the end of the day i'm like well if it's it's something you want and you can't find it at the store and you'll play with it plus it's not taking up space in your room that's right yeah (laughs) right we don't have to right now i can't walk through there i dude i'm not i'm not joking with the transformers i'm glad we're done with that phase as of right now netflix put a series out so they bought some more from that dude 
he's probably my boy's probably got like 200 transformers because nice. he's got my old ones nice yeah and then he's collecting all these other ones and they get them all out it's like people are saying kids won't play with toys it's like no they'll play with toys but you know kids if you're actually giving them allowance and making them make choices to spend their money, they're going to spend it on something that they can actually get some value out of. Right. And I yep. don't know what Hasbro – and at this point, I don't blame them. I heard someone saying today that with Rise of Skywalker, they rewrote that. They reshot that so many times that Hasbro just gave up and didn't even do a line. Yeah. I yeah. don't know what truth is to that or not, but I got like three years of stuff to discuss with you so (laughs) (laughs) that's right it's been about that long for sure yeah look the whole the whole lucasfilm thing is whoo that's going down a road that i don't know that geek out loud ever needs to go down again here this is where i'm at with movies right now and i know a lot of people like them i they're they're not for me anymore um kind of what you i think kind of hinted at too sometimes for me it's just morally Mm-hmm. I have a hard yeah. time with a lot of them. Yep, yep, me too. Some of the like my and I'm not a gory violence guy. My wife watches like Chicago Fire. Yeah, and I can't take that. Right, right. <laughs> Stuff with kids getting hurt, I can't take. Yeah, I, I especially now that I have kids, I can't watch kids getting hurt. I have no interest in it. Yep. yep. So you know, it's just I go back to watching older stuff. Yeah. And uh, you know we've been going, we've been watching. Like I said, we've been watching Stargate right now. My boys are into that, BattleBots, stuff like that. Yeah, kids they buy the toys for that stuff. Yeah, we yep. went through the Star Trek phase. Yeah, you know the, the thing is, uh, you know, I, I, and and Tenton says it in the um, in in the uh, in the chat or no, Roth said it. It sucks when a company doesn't want you to be a fan of what they produce, and I think that's kind of where I'm at with Lucasfilm. They don't want my fandom anymore, and honestly. Like I had to have a, I sat down with myself and I said, do I have, is there anything I want, um, collectible or anything out of star Wars anymore? No, there's not. Um, I have what I want, you know, um, there are a few of the old figures that I still need to finish out my vintage collection. Um, they will probably never be in my collection because they're the most expensive ones, you know, kind of deal. But yeah, but there's nothing I, I there's nothing that I really need um, out of a Star Wars collection anymore. The the Marvel stuff I've kind of turned to to, to scratch that itch, um, you know. And and I've had a lot of fun with the Marvel Legends. And the thing about Marvel Legends is I don't have to be a completist. It's like I can I don't have many MCU looking figures because I like the comic book versions better. That's more colorful on the shelf. It's, you know, I've, I've, like I say, I've gotten into some of this customizing stuff. I'm not actually doing the work to customize, but I'm removing a cape here to do, to put a cloth cape on there. I've learned to do these flight stand things and, and just kind of have a dynamic looking shelf full of these great comic book heroes that I've always loved, you know? And my shelf's in the garage. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and so, well, mine's just here in the, in the old recording studio or in the toy room is what Lucas calls it. But you know, I I just um, I, I just look and I'm like, what you know, what where do I want to? If I'm going to spend money, where do I want to spend the energy? And I'll tell you this, and I can say this because my wife's asleep now. The other night, I was in the Chewy's Cantina sale, and and dude was selling the new Jetfire. Um, he he had the that looks like actual Jetfire from the cartoon, you know, instead of the old Jetfire that was a Robotech toy. Well, I have the old Jetfire that was a Robotech toy, and I'm like, that would look great next to my other Jetfire. 
And my friend Lucas said, Steve, you should get that. It would look great next to your, your vintage <laughs> Jetfire. And I'm like, you're so right. So I ended up getting it. Well, at the same time, he had this new version of Omega Supreme he was trying to unload. Well, guess what's sitting right behind me on a shelf in my room? I've got my, I've started another little transformer shelf up, you know, and it's stuff that I've had for a little while here. And, you know, I just had for the longest time, just a, just an Optimus Prime or just a Megatron. And now I've got a couple of jet fires, Omega Supreme, Optimus and Megatron. And I've got, have you seen those studio series from the 86 on the way that they're coming? No, they, no, I don't watch. I don't get into collecting as much as I used to. Yeah. I mean, I, I see, I think the only thing I've actually bought like specifically for myself was I, and I hear I bash, but I can't find three and three quarter inch. They right. put out the black series, Jar Jar Binks. Yes. And I bought yes. that. Yes. That's about the only one I bought, but you know, I got the kids, especially I, you know, I got the two boys. So I kind of, you know, if they want something, transformers or those certain things i'll buy it because well, it's the stuff that i wanted when i was a kid do yourself a favor and google transformers studio 86 because what you've got is this set of things that they've been doing the studio series it's more like the movie versions like the like the michael bay movie versions of some of these things well the 86 studio series are like vintage Generation One Transformers in their cartoon style from the movie. Okay, from Trans- I'll look at them from too the- because and see that's the thing. My kids they don't like the actual. They like the um, like the first Transformers, but they like the old cartoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's their favorite. I mean, I have heard you've got the touch so many times <laughs> to the point that we went to piano lessons. Yeah, and the teacher said, "What song do you want to learn?" And my one son said, "I want to learn how to play." You got the touch. Nice. That's so, awesome. I'm, I'm just like, what the heck, man? Well, <laughs> so I'll look into those. Yeah, because it's just like, I don't know. It's just hard to find. Yeah, you know. It, it, but but I hear these people saying, um, even to the point that I heard some people at Lucasfilm one time say like, oh, well, kids aren't playing toys. It's like, no, they're playing toys. You just got to put out good ones. Yeah, yeah. You've got to you've got to give them something with some play value. They they they. When it comes to Star Wars, <coughs> um. Hasbro did lean real heavy into collector, and when they were trying to get kids play value, um, they they babied up the toys. Like it, you you said it best, they really they really dumbed down the toy line. When you look at what Kenner was doing in the eighties with the Star Wars line, it wasn't dumbed down. I was a six five six year old kid playing with toys that obviously they don't look you know screen accurate all the time, but they also don't look like they belong in a preschooler's toy box, you know. And, and I think that, I think that's one of the things it's like, we, we've gotten to where they, well, they do it with TV properties too. They dumb stuff down that's meant for kids. And then they jump immediately to the vulgarity and the gratuitous violence and everything else. Um, yeah. you know, and well, for- I, I think it was, I think maybe Roth said earlier, he's like, you know, I think it was him or maybe it was Tinton said something about, you know, it's not a Saturday morning cartoon cartoon, which is true. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, but that's the thing is they're either going Saturday morning cartoon or they're going midnight hour, you know. Right. Right. Uh, Cinemax movie. Yeah. 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 It's like, you know, there, there, there's the whole time during the day in between that we could be targeting. Yeah. Right. You know, and yep. going after, but you know, it is what it is. Yep. I, we pick and choose where we, we have, there's a couple and there's even some stuff where we actually started using that vid angel app. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
because you can edit stuff and they're offering that for free mm-hmm. because you got the kids walking through the house too. We have to watch, you know, sure. What we have on the TV. We're real, we try to be real careful sure with that. I know not, it's not for everybody, but well now is know. VidAngel Does that have the chosen series on it? Is that the one? I think I don't watch any of their stuff. <laughs> okay. Well, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you straight up. Cho- the Chosen has one season out right now, and I'm not big into faith-based entertainment. I, I Most of it is super, super lame and not quality at all. The Chosen is just a well-done interpretation of uh, the story of Christ and his disciples. Um, and And you get one season, which is basically him calling his disciples to follow him, but you get to know them. They, they, they take a little creative license with some of the personalities and that sort of thing. But I was skeptical going in, but there were some people who I trusted their take on things to watch it. And so I watched it with some skepticism going in, but by the end of the first episode, I was hooked. Um, well, it's hard. You know, you watch that stuff and, and like, like I always say, like I watch, I love the old 10 commandments. Mm-hmm. It's not accurate. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fantastic. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, nothing's done maliciously. Right, exactly. I don't and that's, anything's done maliciously or, or with any sort of ill will, you know, intent. Right. The well, only problem with watching stuff on VidAngel is that stuff like, like I'll watch The Expanse <laughs> and then I'm talking to somebody <laughs> who's kind of got the same viewpoint, view, you know, views on stuff as me. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, no, Expanse is great. But I forget to tell them that I'm watching it on something that kind of edits it. Yeah. And so then they come and back they around. they go and watch it. Like, hey, man, what were you watching? It's like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, I'm I like, thought I thought we kind of jived on where we stood with this stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, well, well, hey man, I just wanted to call in and say hey. Yes, so, sir. I'm, gl- I'm glad though that got out there that uh, DC cut or whatever. Yeah, I, I think it's. I, I'm waiting. It's one of those things where I got my my um my Nolan trilogy, which I really liked. I mm-hmm. even liked the last one. Yeah. Honestly, with some of the movies, I was telling, I was talking to my brother the the other day. I didn't like the Crystal Skull when it came out. Right. Jones. Yeah. Um. But honestly, with a lot of the stuff, this is like not and, and and not having to just storytelling aspects. A lot of the movies out now, I go back to that movie and I'm like, you know what? This ain't that bad. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, I'm, that's right. I, I can live with this. Yeah, it's I not can. as good as I want it to be. Yeah. Yep. It ain't that bad. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, buddy, it's good to talk to you, Daniel. Thanks so much for calling in, man. You too, man. Have a good show. Have a good night. All right. All right. I'll you too, you. bud. We'll see you. That's Daniel Lindy, and I'm telling you what, you don't know. You just absolutely don't know um, what what it means to have Daniel Lindy call in uh, after after all this time. We Daniel used to do game shows with us on our old Big Honkin' show, uh, late night Big Honkin' shows and stuff, and it, it was a great time. And, and Daniel has a unique way of looking at the world that I obviously appreciate, and his humor has always been a welcome a welcome addition to the goal of and so good to talk to him. And it's been good to talk to you on this episode of geek out loud. Um, I, I don't, I'm, I'm taking us out to magic sword because y'all know I like magic sword, but I don't know this track. So, um, this may be one of those things like I had the other t- night with Adam where it's like, could you, I need, I need something a little more ump coming in and it's not doing it for me. So I'm going to sit here and talk until you know, I feel like it kicks in, but, uh, geek out online at gmail.com geek out online at gmail.com is the email. We'd love to hear from you. 
Um, please, please, please. Uh, shoot us an email. I don't mean to beg, but I do. And also, five more subscribers on YouTube, and we'll have our big 250th uh, subscriber celebration. And we look forward to that with you. And I uh, hope you'll consider subscribing to the Geek Out Loud YouTube channel uh, with all the fun we have over there. And, and I'll try to do better at videos as we continue on. Um, the links to... Amazon and Entertainment Earth and other places can be found at geekoutonline.com and geekoutpodcast.com. And we invite you to subscribe to Geek Out Loud. We invite you to subscribe to Rock Out Loud and other other shows of the Goldiverse as we uh, look and see how they may or may not continue moving into the future. This has been a great time, though, talking superheroes, talking movies, talking toys. It is everything Geek Out Loud is made of. And we appreciate you being with us. Until next time, I'm Steve Glosson, and we will see you around the Goldiverse and on the next Geek Out Loud. Mm-hmm.